All right, you know what? You can't tie me to her. Yeah, well, who needs to? Because your ass is on a plane back to New Jersey, Jagoff. Hello, world. This is Chris Abalo's Podcast Experiment, and I am Chris Abalo. Welcome to the show. Thank you for following the show at Cape Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Thank you for subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're on that podcast app, you should also get on the X-Man Podcast, which is hosted by this week's guest. Please welcome good Jersey boy, Doc Coyle. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you for being here. I appreciate you making the time. Because yeah, no, listen, I'm, I'm I'm a little late to the game. You know, I haven't eaten today, so I'm, people if people can see the visual, I don't know if it's a visual as well as audio podcast. But I had a little cookie, had a little uh, coffee here. You know, I'm getting getting all the the, the neurons firing slowly right. but surely. That's fine. Well, the sugar is going to help too. There we go. Help raise the energy. You know, it's it's only going to help. It makes for lighter lifting for me if you're all hyped up. So right, I'm ready. Coffee, cookies, everything like. Whatever. I mean, we're as a, as a Jersey guy, you're kind of driven by angst anyway. I, I can't imagine California's watered that down too much. It's just kind of inherent. Not angst, uh, existential dread. I think. That too. <laughs> well, you don't have winter out there, so you're in, you're in Southern California, so there's not the same dread of like a good three months of being stuck inside the house. No, it's seventy so. degrees and sunny right now, and I oh. live 10, ten minutes from the beach and, and walk, not even drive, ten minutes walk. Oh. I'm, I'm a half mile from the beach, so. I got to say, oddly, it's been really cold around here, but it's 75 today, strangely. But tomorrow, it's probably going to top out at like 60. And Got to enjoy that climate change, you know? Yeah, that, that's how we do over here. We get the full spectrum of weather. Aren't we lucky here in mm -hmm. New Jersey? No wonder you left. So Dear Monsters, the new album from Bad Wolves, finally out, came out Friday. It's available wherever you stream or where you buy music. Imagine that. You can buy a record or buy a CD somewhere. BadWolvesNation.com is where you go for all the things and of course follow bad wolves on twitter at bad wolves and bad wolves official on instagram and follow doc coil on all the socials at doc coil and whoa was that neighborhood noise what's going on that's right it's a, a motorcycle motorcycle ah. apologies you know i have my window open with some air going but uh that is the sounds of, of long beach california dude 70 degrees i couldn't blame you i'd have the i should have the window open myself but i'm, I'm trying to keep a consistent visual and <laughs> from show to show at least the ones I'm doing at home. So I'm like, I can't let the sunlight in. I'm going to look translucent. I can't have that. Can't have that. It's, it's going to be bad enough. My, any any tan I got over the summer, just going to be gone over the next couple of months when it's way too cold to go outside. It's inevitable. It is. Well, you know, you, you did your time here. So I guess kind of the obvious place to start is it's a recurring theme. It has been for the last year and a half, but you've been a working musician for over 20 years. Year and a half ago, the pandemic hits. and now everything just, it goes from normal or at least uh, predictable to just stop. So, you know, you, you have the podcast to work on. That's, you know, um, ostensibly a weekly show. How is it that you handled everything just suddenly coming to a stop? Well, I mean, it was a, I mean, a very crazy time for myself because my, my mother passed away like a month into the pandemic mm, right. so i had that to deal with kind of on top of everything uh so essentially the 
band started writing new music, we pretty much knew that our tours were being canceled or delayed. We had a full slate for 2020. We, we only did one tour in the first quarter in Europe with Five Finger Death Punch and Megadeth. Mm. And we had three more tours. We had one tour for each quarter of the year. So it was like the most kind of laid out year we had. And we're really looking forward to just being busy and doing really cool things. And yeah, everything stopped. So the band went right into writing mode, but I was kind of dealing with the kind of emotional impact of dealing with, with, with the loss of my, my mother. Right. So I was kind of in a space where I didn't, I was not very inspired to, to write music. And then the band started this Patreon page and we started creating content for that. But slowly but surely, I kind of got out of my funk and, you know, put that energy into writing and contributing to the record and just creating content for the the bad wolves patreon we're doing like live streams once a week we were you know doing cover songs doing cool videos you know just and just anything we could to uh you know just entertain people and give people an insight into the band and it was successful and that actually kept us pretty busy at the same time i was doing you know a bunch of like those internet covers you know i did some the Metallica song with like Mike Portnoy and right. uh, you know Chris Kale from Five Finger Death Punch and Phil Demel and I did a Perfect Circle cover with uh, Ravi from my band um, and a couple of guys from Breaking Benjamin and Nothing More and that was really cool. So I was super busy actually most of the year and then you know got COVID that was horrible. Uh. Got I had back surgery, which really helped, but, you know, kind of put me out of the game. So it was just a, and then I moved by the end of the year and then, you know, the election stressful, you know, just, you know, that was 2020 was just crazy. You had riots, literally, I mean, two miles from my house, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like a conga line of, of trouble yeah. the whole year, Fires, something. heat wave, um, you know, that kind of palpable kind of political and social stress i think that most of us were absorbing the world through our computers or our, our phones and then and I, I say it creates like a kind of a funhouse mirror effect where it's yeah. like un unreality and listen i think that time period it was broke a lot of people mentally you know we're, we're kind of seeing the the after effects of that now i think we all have a kind of collective ptsd from going through something we're still not totally out of it but we can definitely see the forest through the trees now and go hey we're at least we're out. even there might be restrictions right make like hey wear a mask or show your vaccine card but i'm going to shows things are open we, we're doing things and that's a really so it you know i think it's important not to take that for granted when a lot of those things were not available to us a year ago right and it's been it's been a slow progression even though it's it's taken a while to even get this far, but frankly, I'm considering it was about six months ago. I mean, I just got fully back six months ago. So the idea that we're back to, okay, there are shows, some tours are getting canceled, but there's still a lot of people who are playing. There are required, you know, I go, go to a lot of shows in the city and all the venues are requiring, you know, the vaccine card and it makes sense, but it's still like, okay, the fact that we're here again, it's great, <laughs> you know, and it just makes you appreciate it that much more because everybody wants to you know, the, the, the bands are appreciative because they've missed doing it. People like me are appreciative because we actually get to go see shows again. And yeah, there is this kind of, you're right, this collective PTSD that we've all dealt with where everybody's had 
it, it hasn't improved anybody. Let's put it that way. Everybody suffered some kind of negativity, negative effect over the last year. There's definitely some fallout that we're, we're starting to see, you know, maybe some cracks are starting to show. And to be honest, that's one of the things, you know, as, as a fan of, of your show, you know, you've been very, you're very conscious about mental health and about, I mean, even earlier, I think it was about a month into quarantine you know, you were speaking with a therapist about, you know, people dealing with isolation and how to overcome those kind of, you know, mental and emotional obstacles in an unprecedented situation. And, you know, and at the same time, you've taken breaks from the podcast just because you feel like, you know, I need to get myself together mentally or physically or spiritually, you know, what any of those components when you feel like, you know, even when you were touring and everything and there was a lot going on, there's still those times where you've said, I need to step back because it's what I need to do right now. And frankly, that's even influenced me in that at the beginning of next year, like I'm taking a break. I've been going weekly since March of 2020, first day of lockdown, March 16th last year. Every week I've been cranking out shows and I'm like, you know what? I probably could use a break. I got a lot of other things I'm working on. And the idea to step back, like it's okay. It's all right. You know, I need it just to be able to balance that. And, you know, even your transparency about you kind of dealing with some of those hurdles have influenced me as far as, you know what, it doesn't hurt to stop and just be honest about what's going on as much as like, oh, it's a show and it's supposed to be light and entertaining and all that. It's like, okay, but we are all affected by this and people are actually up for having that conversation now. It's a shame yeah. that it took this, but people are finally up for talking about things like that now. Well, have you heard this phrase that's going around the great resignation? I haven't. So there's this idea kind of post-pandemic, partially because uh, there was so much kind of stimulus put into the economy, be it through kind of those, those, those one-time checks or the extra unemployment right? where people got to kind of actually, a lot of people were making more money through unemployment than they were beforehand. And in, I think this period where people had time off, they reassessed their lives. And a lot of people are not going back to some of these more menial uh, jobs that don't pay that well. Yeah. I think a lot of it. And so we have this worker shortage and a lot of people aren't going back because I think some people are, they're re-examining their lives and they go, Hey, is it worth it? Like, why am I killing myself for what? And this is kind of, a, I think a big portion, especially of younger generations, uh, Gen, Gen Zers who are facing a much more difficult kind of economic landscape than uh, previous generations. And they're going, Hey, what are my priorities in life? Is it to just hustle, 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 work 80, 80, 80 hours a week and, and not be happy and wear myself down? Or do I want to, would I rather make less money, but be a happier person and have more vitality? Because the truth is jobs can, they take something from you, right? If you're working construction for 30 years, it's going to take an effect on your body. If yeah. you're, uh, you know, doing a very highly stressful job, you know, you're working in a, ER, you're a police officer like that, that stress, like going, being kind of at, you know, that at 10 every day will affect your me emotional, mental health in some way. Right. And okay. so, so it's a matter of understanding that, that it's a, it's a give and take and you have to deal with that at some point, you know, like what's the point of working for X amount of years and hey, I'm going to retire when I'm 65, but then you're physically, emotionally, mentally broken. And then you can't even really enjoy your quote yeah. unquote ret retirement time. The golden years, you know, yeah, I, I mean, feel like your body is taking its toll or your nervous system or whatever is like, you, you, you can't, 
you can't do it. And for what you paid that price for yeah. you know having that job and working that career. And I get why 20 somethings or college graduates aren't up for just jumping on the hamster wheel. Like we've done for generations. <laughs> like, let me go out and just bust my ass and, and work and work and work because that's just what you do with no yeah. regard for happiness or mental health or some kind of balance or anything like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think, I just think it's something that we're kind of just going through collectively. Like it's just a, a shift kind of in the, in, in the consciousness a, a little bit. And I'm interested to see how that will kind of play out, you know, in terms of just lifestyle, right? How do people want to live? It's a, I guess it's more of a kind of Western European mindset and not being so focused on hustle culture and, and mm. grind, yeah, grind, 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 uh, you know, and, and of course, a lot of that is just necessity, right? If you live in a major city just to make rent, you got to work <laughs> yeah. much a, a yeah. lot, to, you know, it's a, it's a high threshold. Uh, so it's just, it's just an, an, an interesting time. And I've, I've always thought that way about, I'd rather make less money, but do th something I'd like rather than make a lot more money and be you know, kind of dread going into work or whatever. Right. Yeah. Cause it, there is that trade-off that everybody needs to deal with. It's like, well, do I want to do this and do I want to do that? And it's, I think it's something that that's helpful that because just because you make your living playing music, just to, I mean, to use you as the, the perfect example in this, there's the assumption that just you're killing it. It's all easy for you, you know, but you're very much a working musician. This is the job. This is, you know, it's not to say that everything is hand to mouth, you know, like there's still the struggle, but it's still like, it, it's still your job. It's not just like living this, you know, lush, you're not living the life, you know, like the stones or Aerosmith or any of those bands who like, just do the one thing they just do the band. And that's it. That's not how it goes. I mean, it's not like that for most people, yeah. but I still feel like there's this perception like, oh, well, you're just, you're fine, you know, because you're doing this, but it's like, it's, it's a job. You're, you're a working schmo. I mean, that's a compliment. But yeah, I that's, mean, that's what's about. Yeah, and listen, we were fortunate to be able to have some decent income during the pandemic because of the Patreon and different things that the that the band was doing. But because the uh, band was involved in a lawsuit, the where none of us have been able to make any money from Bad Wolves for about four months now. We've been on our own, and so we've all had to figure out other ways to to make a living and do this and 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 doing that and so yeah there's this perception oh you're in a big band so this is happening this is happening but the truth is with this band there's so it's a big operation right so there's you know you got to pay your manager you got to pay your booking agent you got to pay your lawyer you got to pay your business manager yeah, so yeah. those margins especially when you're not touring and you don't have that income you're not and you know the big piece of touring as well is is selling merchandise you sell you know and so once that stuff kind of goes by the wayside, you have to figure out different ways to to make a living. And most musicians that I know at this level do multiple things because unless, like I said, unless you're in a Rolling Stones, it's going to be difficult to just rely on that one thing. And I think it's smart, though, like it's better to not feel as uh, dependent on one source and, and, it, and it keeps you uh, being on your toes more as being a versatile individual and saying, Hey, I don't, I'm not just good at this one thing. I can do, work on this thing or have this business or have this other skill set. And so it keeps you kind of constantly working on different things. And I think that was something that's a, actually a big positive that came out of the pandemic is it, it trained a lot of people 
in not just the music world, but anyone who's kind of a content creator or entertainer or just anything is like self-sufficiency, being able to record yourself and do, you know, edit videos and make, you know, make music in your home studio and really going, Hey, there's all these tools at our disposal. And just with a little investment and some time educating oneself, you can actually do a lot of different things. So I think that's something that's people will take that on with them. And now so many people are more independent, right? They can make money off Patreon. They can make money off Twitch. They can make money off, uh, you know, these, these different kind of very specified ways of, of going direct to your consumer and going, Hey, I don't need 8 million people to support me. Right. I only need a few hundred people that support what I do. And that now I can kind of make a living and that's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's great that have this freedom. I mean, look, we all had to adjust and learn how to do this, you know, for podcasting and broadcasting of any type. You know, most people just kind of had to figure it out. Every late night show had to have a webcam set up or, you know, it was funny. Like, I'm a big fan of Howard Stern and literally the first day of lockdown, they were just on Zoom and everybody's talking through their, you know, the internal mic on their computer or their laptop or their tablet. Like, okay, we don't know what we're doing, but we got a show to do. So let's get on it. So it's it's good the idea that everybody kind of had to stretch and at the yeah. same time take advantage because I mean literally anybody could do what we're doing right now and because sure. of the ability to do it it's literally the reason you and I are talking at this moment because we have this connectivity and it's become normal to just be able to reach out to somebody and say hey are you down we could both do it from home it's relaxed <laughs> nobody's rolling into a studio under lights or anything like that where it's it feels more like it may not be as comfortable. It feels maybe more like a performance. Whereas here we are, you're at home, I'm at home. It's just kind of easy and it could be casual and it's still something that people can, you know, we can just put out there and people can listen to it and it's great. So yeah, the idea that people kind of had to stretch creatively, I think it was one of the big benefits. And at the same time, you don't strike me as the kind of guy where if you were just killing it, if bad wolves was paying all the bills and there was enough money left over for fun, you don't seem like the guy who would be satisfied just having that gig and that's it. Like, I can't see you just kicking it on the beach. I feel like you would want to do other things. I feel like, you, you know, you would want to be doing a podcast. You'd want to be collaborating with other musicians. Like you seem like someone who wouldn't be settled into just doing the one job anyway. Yeah. I mean, traditionally I've been involved in a lot of different things. Like I said, doing before the podcast, I was writing freelance and mm -hmm. during, during the pandemic, I was cast in a film and got to act and get my SAG card. And, and that right. was, something that's i'm interested in and just i'm just interested in a lot of different fields the the problem is do you have enough time in the day to actually do it right properly right because i don't I, I i don't i don't like the idea of like dipping a toe in something without giving it its proper work and background and really taking it seriously so it's right. you can have all these ideas in your head but you're like you know if i can't do that correctly i'm just it'll some some things will just remain a dream <laughs> but uh you know it's pretty much once the beginning of the year happened and we had the member change everything for us had to like really laser focus on the band and the album from the time of finding a singer and so at the same time that we were searching for a singer we also were in writing mode so we were like just working on music working on music for probably from january and then we were maybe done with the record in like may you know wow. and that's after so it was just a lot of work. So it was, even though I was doing other things, you do have to prioritize and you have to, sometimes 
there's the kind of the power of no, right? Of going, yeah, people asking you to do projects and you're like, and you want to say yes and you want to be helpful and you want to be a part of things, but sometimes you're like, I just, I just don't have enough time for this right now. So. Yeah, it's, it's true. And having a kind of, it, it's interesting being in the position where like, oh, you want to help out or like, oh, that'd be really cool to do. But it's one of those things where, you know, again, it's when it comes to mentally where you're at, like, am I going to be stretched too thin or can I not dedicate to it the way I want to? Like, you want to show up if you're going to take on something, you know, if you're going to be in a film, you want to show up for it and you want to, you don't want to just be there. Just, oh, it's cool to do. You want to actually be able to, to commit to it and be like, all right, I'm, I'm there for you. You know, and, that, and that's what I try and do with any endeavors. I put a hundred percent into it. And you, so usually it's like, if I have a project, right? Someone's like, Hey, can you do a solo for me? Can you record this? And something that I wish would just take me m- maybe a few hours or a day mm-hmm. will stretch out over three days because I'm so like, it's gotta be good. It's got. And then, so, that, so I, I feel like my, t- my commitment versus time management doesn't always work out. So it's, right. it's not quite as efficient as I would like it to be, but yeah, I definitely try to be, be involved in a lot of things. And, and I'm like working on all this stuff that I can't even really talk about like gigs that I took that it's kind of secret. So I'm like putting time in and practicing and learning songs and I can't even really talk about it. So people don't even know what I'm working on <laughs> at the time. So it's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing stuff. I'm busy. Yeah. I'm busy. I got, yeah, there's, there's stuff going on. Like, right. You're not doing anything. You're watching. <laughs> you're you're re- re-watching the Sopranos or something. Like you're not actually busy. Well, listen, no, basketball me. season is back, so I'm I'm about to be extremely distracted <laughs> in, the, in the near future. So, which but good good distractions, fun right. fun distractions. You going out? You going to see games now that that's back on? Because they're doing. I don't know if they're doing limited capacity out there. No, it's but, full. Uh, it's full. You it just full? have to be. Yeah, you just have to be vaccinated. Vaxed. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, I, there's so many shows out here. I mean, System of a Down and Corn are playing on Friday. Cradle of Filth is playing tonight. Quicksand mm-hmm. just played over the weekend. I went to go see A Day to Remember and Asking Alexandria yesterday. I I played a gig on Tuesday, so it's 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 back, man. Things right. are things are happening, and I don't. And so it's it's kind of exciting, you know. But you can't go to every show, but I I, I yeah. will try because I'm so happy <laughs> to see live music. Oh, same. Yeah, it's still about going out and, and seeing the show for me and supporting. You know, I'm still that person who's like, well, if they're coming around, of course I want to go out to the gig because, yeah. you know, selfishly, but also people aren't necessarily going out. You know, it's surprising like how many shows I've been to in the last couple of weeks in the city that just aren't sold out. And they should be. I mean, I, I went a couple of weeks ago and saw Cheap Trick at Irving Plaza, small venue, big band, wasn't sold out. Mm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Okay, well, it's an older, it's an older crowd, and, and some of the older crowd, I think, is still a little bit hesitant to kind of get out there while all this, the kind of variant, and all that stuff is still going. So, I, listen, I think it's also it's going to take into account that we're not one hundred through this. Maybe mm-hmm. in five months, six months, it'll look like, hey, remember things are screwed up, and and maybe we'll be kind of past this. But, uh, but yeah, there's still some of that. I think there's also people's habits have changed where. If you get used to not going out as much, then all of a sudden it becomes more of an imposition and we, we're, we're, you know, maybe become a little more homebodied in, yeah. in many ways and a little more comfort, comfortable in our, in, in our space and venturing out becomes like more of a task. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I kind of like being at home. I like the space. I, like. I finally got it to a place where I like it. Do I want to bother going out? <laughs> Do I want to yeah, be other people? Even that is something we're going to be dealing with. Like, I don't know if I like crowds. I don't know if I like noise in restaurants. I'll just get takeout. You know, Dude, a lot of I mean, people, you know, 
who are thinking about that, who just, it, it's kind of reframed how they're looking at life in a way that probably is never going to go back. People aren't going to be crazy about being around crowds. People aren't going to be crazy about going out during flu season or, you know, whatever. They're just not up for it anymore. You know, they don't want to go to a restaurant where there's 13 TV screens all showing a different game or something like that. While they're trying to eat wings, they might just get takeout and say, I'll sit at home, watch the one thing I want to watch instead of like being in this crowded, noisy ass restaurant. So it's interesting. And I think you're right. I think there's, we're kind of taking steps back. And now this period is still going to be considered an in-between period down the line. Yeah. Like shows even, started to come back and people took, you know, maybe things weren't as profitable as we hope, be it movies or, or tours or anything like that, but it had to start somewhere. Sure. So here we are. I have a lot of curiosity because you're a Jersey guy, grew up in New Brunswick. You are 51 weeks older than me. Oh, so we have a lot of the reference. Very specific. <laughs> it's very specific because I just because you posted for your birthday last week, October thirteenth. Mine's October seventh. Wow. So the math was easy. That was my mother's birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a good day. Yeah. And um, so we kind of grew up at the same time. Obviously, our paths went in different directions. But as somebody who you know, I started playing guitar at sixteen. This isn't just a prop. <laughs> this actually was you know I was playing for a long time and um. It's, I have questions as far as kind of the, the coming up around here, mm -hmm. because I feel like that was in, in the late nineties into, into the two thousands. It was an interesting time in that there were a lot more of, you know, a lot of these places have shut down, but there were a lot of venues and the idea of being in a band and being within striking distance of New York and Philly was a big deal. Or if need be, you can drive to Massachusetts or DC. Mm -hmm. you know, do the round trip in a day, as long as people are willing to rotate to drive. And like that whole thing, I feel like was, it's still possible, but I feel like back then when you just kind of had to build by word of mouth and like build an audience, you know, the old fashioned way before there was an internet where everything's kind of, you know, available to you. I'm, I'm kind of curious about those, those early shows and what those days were like at that time being around this area. Like I, I know when your early shows was at the court tavern, mm -hmm. not my first show was that uh, the first one. Yeah, we weren't even called God forbid yet. We were called Manifest Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> Playing in front of our, our parents, pretty much. Right. Uh, well, <laughs> that's what the first gigs are for. Like, there's yeah. six people. It's a couple of parents who showed up. That's it. <laughs> Thank God. Hopefully they bought beer. Listen, I, I think I was really fortunate to be there in a really exciting scene. Mm -hmm. And... At, at, a, at a very cool time, right? So that, that kind of mid late nineties going into the early two thousands and being a kind of the centerpiece and something about the Northeast, New Jersey, Long Island, uh, you know, Syracuse, New York, all these like little pockets of, of scenes and bands. And it was yeah. so diverse. Like, like I said, God forbid sounding how we sounded was hanging out in the same group of people as Thursday who sounded mm -hmm. completely different. Right. And and it would be that with a million other bands where it really had so much less to do with what you sounded like and kind of your ethic, your the community, and, you know, and the, and the shows would be extremely diverse. There, you know, they were they would do shows at Middlesex County College and it would be, you know, I remember this one show was like Coalesce and like Disembodied and Piebald, who's like a emo band mm -hmm. and. We would play and there'd be like a tough guy hardcore band and there'd be a straight edge band and there'd be a grindcore band and it was and it, that was just normal the idea yeah. that, that you would listen to a variety of of stuff and that it wasn't just about 
you know, kind of fitting into this one mold, right? It was that we were all, it, and, and so that, so being a part of that and, you know, seeing bands like Dillinger Escape Plan kind of from their very, very early days and seeing some, being at the forefront of something like that, or being there for a band like E-Town Concrete, who's doing something completely different, bringing right. hip hop into hardcore and just exploding. And then seeing band, you know, like new metal bands rise up like El Nino and see that kind of pop and glass straws that was from Long Island. So they would play New Jersey all the time. We'd go out mm-hmm. there and and just and that that whole emo scene blew up out of New Jersey and Long Island too with Saves the Day and Brand New and Taking Back Sunday. So that was happening. So just seeing a lot of those bands that ended up getting really, really big in a in a really uh kind of elementary primordial state was just cool you know and and to this day you look back on it you go man that was kind of crazy that we were kind of at the heart of all these different intersecting kind of creative explosions you know stuff that really had an impact globally and it's you know for me it harkens back just to a a time when everything was more localized that there was a jersey sound or a new york sound or a massachusetts thing uh and now things are because of the internet and you know things are less regional because your influences can come from anywhere whereas before you were you were a lot more limited in what you were hearing especially like up close right the shows you're going to the bands you're seeing and so that I, i that is definitely something i don't know if we'll ever truly get back of having like a certain sound like there's a reason why kill switch and shadows fall and unearth all came from a saint you know a, a very particular area or like converge and cave in and all like there was something going on there and there's a yeah. reason why you know Madball and sick of it all and agnostic front they all came from this area you know and that's a cool thing the dc sound right you know yeah. going, going going way back so it's i don't know if that exists to the same level as it as it did now so and just to be part of that and kind of have a uh a bug's eye view was cool. Right. Just the, the through line and the connection everybody had was just being kind of from the area. It didn't The genre didn't matter. You wouldn't necessarily put God Forbidden Thursday on the same bill, but it made total sense because we, they were local dudes. We would be on the same bill. Exactly. Like, but you wouldn't think like if someone's programming based on, yeah. you know, style, which, you know, happens a lot. N- I feel like now that wouldn't happen. Because there's also not that localized, you know, the local scene is, I mean, if, if there is one, I mean, I, I try to keep up with that stuff, but at the same time, everything feels so splintered now because everyone's just putting their stuff out on the internet. I don't feel like there's, there's building that larger profile as opposed to just building locally. It would happen on, uh, luckily the kind of European model of festivals has come to America and, and, and you'll see some of that diversity on a festival, which I think is yes. great where you know, one of my favorite festivals is in uh, Belgium. It's called Grass Pop, mm-hmm. and it's it's death metal bands and it's m- super mainstream bands and punk bands and emo bands and it's you know everything has its own stage and you can kind of you know it's like a buffet. You can just kind of oh I'll have some egg rolls and I'll have some lasagna and I'll <laughs> you know have to have have a, a Caesar salad and you can kind of just pick and choose. And I I I love that melting pot aspect of of anything and, and even when it gets even more diverse than that on some of these other festivals where it's there's pop groups and hip hop and weird shit and you just 
we're all just there for to just enjoy ourselves and also like get exposed to different scenes and different cultures and different vibes. And I, I think that's super fun. Right. No, I agree. So are you do you have a, a hot take on the, the theory that there isn't Central Jersey? Because you're basically from there. So well, does Central Jersey exist. It does, but it's not technically in the center. So if if you were to technically say what's the center of New Jersey, it's like Trenton. But I considered Trenton South Jersey because right. basically most of the people New Jersey is the most densely populated state in the in the country, but almost all the people live in the upper half. So really Central Jersey is like the kind of the lower third of the top half. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what I consider that's actually Central Jersey, even though right. if you were to physically look at it, it's not technically right in the center. Right. If you divided it in thirds. Like evenly, it wouldn't lay out in the way it actually is in terms of the like population. Like you're right. It's yeah, well, the lower third of the top. Well, it's, well, it's because there's once you get past Trenton, the next there's really nothing there. Well, there's you have like kind of that Mount Laurel mm-hmm. area area near Cherry Hill near Philly, but a lot of people just consider that Philly, like right. the suburbs of Philly, and then you have Atlantic City. But other than that, and then you may have like Tom's River and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but it's not like outside of Atlantic city, there's not a major city or a major hub of populace. You yeah. Know? Between Atlantic city and cherry Hill is just pine trees. Yeah. And it's, there, so. it's just shore, shore, shore town. So it's, yeah. that's a different Jersey. I'm not quite as familiar with that Jersey. That's, I feel like that's the Jersey where people actually talk like stereotypically, they like they're like stereotypically Jersey like cartoon people. characters. Yeah. Jersey you cartoon know. characters. But I grew up in, I grew up in New Brunswick. So I grew up in a city mm-hmm. and People go, oh, you're from New Jersey. You don't have a New Jersey accent. I'm like, I don't, I didn't, I like, I know what you mean, but even I feel like all cities kind of have a similar accent, just like a metropolitan accent mm-hmm. that you know, I couldn't tell if someone's from San Francisco or Chicago, even though those places I'm sure have their tonalities, there is a kind of consistency that, that it isn't, isn't so tied to region, region. Right. Well, same for me. Like I grew up in, in Lakewood. So down near the shore area and my parents are both, my dad's from Newark. My mother's from Teaneck. So they're both from North Jersey. Yeah. But since we grew up down there, the further South, the further South you get from New York, basically the less prevalent the accent is, the more kind of watered down it gets. So like, I didn't have much of what I now go back and listen to like podcasts I did in 2010 and I can hear it, but you know, it, it got more watered down during, you know, several years in Los Angeles because it just happens. You just lose it, but there, there's still that. There's still that character. I was in Shoprite a couple of days ago, and it actually made me laugh because I've now been back in Jersey. It's it's coming up on three years since I moved back here, and the the manager comes on the PA says, "Attention, Shoprite shoppers, you know, right now we got half off and whatever it is." At that point, I was kind of tuned out because I'm like, "I miss it. That guy's not doing a voice. That <laughs> that guy, like, he's not. He's just that character. Like, he's not trying to be. He's just being himself." But like, I miss that. I miss those kinds of personalities. Like when I was out in Los Angeles, I felt like we don't have those. Like that's a dude. He just talks like that. He's just the manager at ShopRite. And he talks like a stereotypical, like if you put that in the movie, they would tell you it's too over the top, but that's just actually how people talk. Yeah. So I, I miss that kind of character, but you, you know, in North Jersey, yeah, that's what you get. You get that kind of stereotypical and a Jersey accent, but you're right. The further South you had, like, you know, where you grew up, where I grew up, it's not, it's not as prominent. As well, it changes because you, you get the. Uh, like Philly, Baltimore accent, which is a different thing. So it starts to kind of blend into yeah. that as well. 
Yeah, it's like a dialect, like different regions of, of this mm-hmm. for such a small state. There's a lot of range in such a small state, even in, in the, the style, like up here where I am in, in North Jersey, it's more urban-ish. It's not a city, but then, you know, you get near the shore towns, completely different. And then you get, you know, a little bit south and west and it's, you know, you're in the pylons, you're in the woods. You wouldn't even know you're in the same state <laughs> at a certain point when you go far, far enough south in that region, like we we're talking about where it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is the same place that has seaside. Doesn't look like it at all. You know, a lot of range out here. But um, so speaking of of God forbid, I feel like you've basically been asked every possible question about the band a hundred times over. I don't know that there's anything I could really ask that you haven't gone over. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, is there anything that that nobody ever asked that you wish they would ask about? That's kind of what what I was thinking of because no, I, I mean, like, listen, you get asked constantly about the band, which is great, but at the same time, I feel like you've kind of said it all. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I don't I'm not someone who like really spends a lot of time trying to live in the past or re kind of reignite past ideas even though my show a lot of it is kind of examining other people's careers, contextualizing how I kind of maybe was, you know, had a relationship with someone in terms of our careers intersecting. So so there's a lot of examination there, but I feel like in many ways I've come to grips with the narrative of what the band's legacy is and what we did and why we did it and why maybe it didn't meet our expectations or all that. I feel like I've, I've done the autopsy through (laughs) my show Uh, effectively where now there's, there's very little mysteries, even for myself, you know, a lot of it was kind of dealing with that and going, okay, what is that? Uh, But now it's like this thing where, and it wasn't like this when the band broke up. It's like now a lot of people are like, when are you coming back? When are you doing something? There's all this, this kind of uh, push behind that. So now it's like kind of going, okay, is that, is, is that something we want to do? Is that a possibility? And just kind of figuring that between the, the members of the band is like, you guys want to do this? Do you want to try something? But it's like people have families, they have jobs. We're more spread out. It's not as we're not localized anymore. So that makes everything a little bit more difficult. So listen, I'm, I'm just proud of the band's legacy you know i listen back to the music and i go hey we did something cool like were, were we the number one greatest band out of all those bands doing that I, I don't i don't know but i think we we held our own and you know with time gives you perspective and so if people still are into it or new maybe even new people are discovering and go hey that was a cool thing you guys did right it, it, to some degree it becomes cooler in in hindsight, because we're in a completely new environment now. So it feels more novel to some degree. Right. Well, I, and I mean, there was certainly some novelty to it at the time, you know, in that it, there, it was unique, you know, that the, that the band was made up, you know, had this, this diversity that you didn't find a lot in metal during that time. It's obviously something that, you know, everything's, everything's yeah, it's all over now and everybody way more normal now. Yeah. But I mean, it, 22 years ago it just wasn't <laughs> it, it was kind of something you could point to where it's you know there was the idea like there's a you know not i'm sure this was said in, in some form so i don't mean anything by it but just the idea that you know once upon a time it was yeah there's this metal band from around here god forbid it's black guys it's like okay <laughs> right so awesome like have you 
do you know anything about the history of rock music? <laughs> like, is it really that, you know, earth shaking to you? They're like, oh my God, the room is spinning. I better sit down. I can't understand that, you know, these guys are in the spin. Like, it's really not, you know, it's <laughs> at the same time, like, okay, well, it is for everybody. I mean, the idea, you know, call me a hippie if you want, but it's like music kind of is for everybody. So there's nothing wrong or there's no like perception, like, you know, wh why is that distinctive? And at the same time, I, I realize we're in this moment. I kind of know what I want to say. Forgive me if it comes out clunky, but because we're in this moment where people are seeking out diversity mm. and looking for more than just kind of what's in everybody's faces, you know, the people who get the most promotion, all of that, there is more, you know, with um, technology democratizing all of this stuff and making things more shareable. There are people who are going to be seeking out bands like God forbid, just because there's, you know, while it's not as much of an anomaly at the time kind of was, is that something you have feelings about from where we are now and that that might be something you know the, the racial makeup of the band might attract people to them or is it more like whatever gets them to listen and listen to the music it really doesn't matter it, even if it's that that brings them in it doesn't matter like do you have feelings about well i listen i don't i don't think that was some grand uh kind of th thing that made the band attractive to a certain subset i the, right. think the difference between and keep in mind i think one of the things that really stood out about what we did was we did not have things sonically in our music that were tied to traditionally black music right mm -hmm. we didn't have hip-hop elements we didn't have an r&b part we didn't have a reggae part mm -hmm. it was it was pretty straightforward metal and a lot of our influences were european bands and scandinavian bands mm -hmm. and pantera i mean as you know kind of white bread as you get right like wearing <laughs> rebel flags on our guitars right so right. we we so hearing the music and then seeing the band it created a, a dichotomy that i think was striking mm -hmm. because it wasn't about because even like even a band like bad brains had reggae parts even a band like uh living color they're a rock band but they did have these kind of funk chops and fusion oh, elements and things that we you would traditionally say hey that's uh a domain that that is uh kind of personified by black culture in, in many ways so that that i think that's where it kind of stood out but i think in hindsight and this is something especially doing the show is really understanding the impact we have on the next generation of young people of color coming up and and making them feel okay about their position making inspiring them to go i can be in a band it's not weird it's not uncool and that that legacy is something that has become much more palpable through time and it's like and it's and it's it's weird it's like damn that's that's crazy like like you know people in big bands that'll go i saw you guys and it it made me happy it made me proud you know, right. maybe, well, I can be, and you know, and so that kind of thing. And like I said, I think we're in this weird time where, you know, there's been the black lives matter movement and there's been the George Floyd thing. And there's all this, like, just really hyped up stuff around, you know, we're, you know, we're taking uh, statues down where it's really, you know, CRT in schools, right. It's like, like right. these racial issues are really kind of at peak level that's got everyone on like defense, right? Like a dog with its ears raised up. And so in a weird way, you have, I think 
and that's seeped into every aspect of our culture, right? It's, it's, oh, these people are mad because they're considering a black James Bond, or these people are upset because they don't like the, you know, there's too much diversity in Star Wars, right? There's, there's all these things where, but we're definitive proof that representation actually does matter that when people see themselves uh in these environments it opens the door for the next generation right so when young people see black you know young black people see black panther when they're five six years old that's when they see themselves on screen right that's gonna help them feel more comfortable in a society throughout their life you know or when you when there's a black president even though a lot of people might, he might not like him as a president or whatever, it's still that's something that just these things that are almost um, subliminal, right? right? That you don't realize that, no, when you actually kind of give people that, then it does change our perception. So it's this weird thing of going, we kind of want to live in this. Some people want to live in a post-racial society where we kind of mm-hmm. don't talk about these things and go, right. hey, right. we're all the same and who cares? And it should be about you know, if we're casting a movie, or if we're doing something, it should be about their, um, it should be a meritocracy and not be about who's doing it. Like, I, I get all that stuff. Like, I don't, I don't think that stuff's um, without merit, but we're proof that it actually does matter and it does have an effect. And that's kind of a cool thing. And so it's something even to this day, you know, I'm very invested in other black artists in the scene i want to help them and i want to be friends with them and i want to connect with them on that because you know it's you you want to go hey you know i got your back and i'm here and it's in it and it because we're outliers within the black community that's what i don't think people really understand is that there's Mm -hmm. as as much there's as much if not more backlash from the black community whereas i feel like in some ways within you know the, the rock world the metal world which is predominantly white they're they're very welcoming in a lot of ways because they like it's like almost exciting for them like yes come like it's 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 you know it's kind of complex but <laughs> you know it's uh and there's there's, there's, a, there's a lot to it but you know i think anything that can kind of create that solidarity and kind of drop these ideas about this is black music this is white music this is normal this is not normal i i think that's really what I want my kind of charge to be is to like get get rid of that stuff. So it's not so it's it shouldn't be an outlier, right? It should just be, right, hey, right. you like you like what you like. And why should it fucking matter? Right. Totally. And and that's one of the things that has been a, a big it's something you've come back to a lot on your podcast with, you know, conversations with Tosin Abasi and Doug Pinnock and talking about representation and being the outlier and who's accepting and who isn't, which, you know, the representation part, I think people are understanding that it's important. You know, it's not, you know, even though we're from the same place, my experience growing up completely different from yours in that I'm seeing myself represented in all forms of arts and all that. So it's not something I'm conscious of. That's what I said. It's subliminal. It's it's a thing that it's like, is it, did even for someone like me, did I even notice that like the first 10 12 marvel movies it's all white male leads right no i'm just like oh it's iron man it's Thor. it's like you don't even think about it because you're just you're just and but there's not to be there's something wrong with that mm-hmm. it's just something that you just if you don't take a time 
uh, minute to think about it. You're like, oh, that's kind of crazy. And by the way, same thing on my show. I was like, damn, I booked 20 w- white dudes in a row. Not because right. I thought about it. Cause I was like trying to, you're just like, oh, just that happens to be who predom- predominantly populates this scene. Right. Right. It, it is what it is. It's not, it's not some conspiracy, but so it's just being kind of mindful of those things and going when it, whatever we're putting together. And like I said, I know that that rabbit hole can get really deep and go where you can get, you know, there, cause I have a lot of thoughts, you know, about, you know, Oscar's so white. I'm like, really, is that what we're focusing on? Like you didn't win an Oscar. You're mad. Like, it, it does it like things like that. I feel like it goes too far in the other direction. In my opinion, uh, but it doesn't mean it's something that we shouldn't think about and care about and go that it, these things do have an impact, you know, for sure. And and I think it's an important conversation to have. And I feel like now people are actually listening to that. I mean, this, there's still the the part of me that feels like eh, it might be a little bit of a a dicey subject for me to even approach. But at the same time, like I want to have the conversation and I want look, I recommend people listen to those podcasts of you know the interviews you did with Doug Pinnock and Tosin Abasi and Militia Vox. I mean, you've done a lot of great interviews exploring the diversity and what it's been like to deal in a predominantly white genre of music or one that's been dominated by, you know, a lot of white males specifically. And it's something, but I think it's important that people are like having the conversation. And that's frankly why I wanted to even ask you about it, just because yeah. you know you have a perception of it and being a part of it. Not that that was, you know, that wasn't the mission statement necessarily for God forbid, um, not as far as you've said that there was any part of it that was just like, we're going to be this to people. But now with the benefit of hindsight and now being, you know, arm's length away from the band now for about eight years, you can look at it and say, okay, there is this legacy. We did play this role. And now people are able to look at us and you're also hearing, you know, you're having the conversations with people and hearing the stories about seeing your band was a big deal. It was really important for me to hear god forbid or see god forbid or i just got turned on to this where you realize like you you had this role which which was really important to a lot of people and keep in mind none of that matters unless you're good all right like like so uh you know having because trust me we were not the only uh kind of mixed band racially especially in like new york and new jersey it was very diverse especially playing shows in new york there was another band locked in a vacancy that was predominantly black and Hispanic members. Um, so it was, it was, it wasn't completely un, un, uncommon, but ultimately you have to be doing something really dynamic with your music that, that people like I say, cause people don't hear with their eyes. Right. So ultimately the, the music has to, has to speak for itself. And it's interesting. You, you mentioned Tosin and Doug panic because look at that. You're, you're talking about a span of like 50 years where Doug Pinnock is literally coming up in the music scene when there was literal se- segregation mm. and Tosin now exists almost like I said, where I, where I think Tosin exists in a way where he is post-racial, where he's so good. It doesn't matter. He could literally be an alien. And I don't think it would matter <laughs> because he's pushed the instrument and the art form uh, in such an innovative way. Um, and so to, for, for him to even be able to do that, is in a way the legacy of a Doug Pinnock, the legacy of a God forbid for him to just exist in this uh, platform. I'm sure that doesn't mean he's not without and hasn't been without challenges, but I think he sure. has superseded that into being his, this own really unique sphere that uh, that he's earned, you know, but it's beautiful to see that the people that re- recognize him 
from a fan perspective and support him, it's it literally is the racial element is is extraneous. It's almost irrelevant, right? Right. And that's that is cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, it feels like he came along at a time, you know, Tosin in particular, where he was just that good that it, it kind of didn't matter. <laughs> you know, he's such yeah. a monster player that it was even if we weren't in this moment right now where everybody is looking for diversity, he, he would have stood out just on chops alone. Yeah. He's, he's just a monster player and the way he's pushing, you know, the instrument and playing like eight strings. Do you see what this guy does with eight strings, you know, or whatever it is? I feel like people be looking at him anyway, but it only helps. And it's only going to be another another step forward where yeah. seeing him on the cover of Guitar World is going to be a lot to a lot of people who maybe haven't picked up the instrument yet, but they're going to see that. And there's something where they're going to know it's OK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Imagine what his impact is going to be, because he's way more famous than I ever was or God forbid mm -hmm. ever was. And, and that's going to, there's, I'm sure a whole new generation of, of players that are, that, are, and that breaks down all these other doors. So totally keep going. The cycle keeps going. It does. Yeah. It's all, thankfully there's, there's progress on that. That's not always <laughs> as much as we want socially, but at least in terms of where, where music's going. And as far as the open-mindedness, I mean, that's, we're getting somewhere, which is good. And you're helping with that because you're having these conversations with people in a way that, you know, I couldn't or in the way that I don't have the perspective you're bringing in. And it, it's important. It's important for me to hear it, even having a, a logical understanding of it, having the, the reference points in the stories and hearing about the history of, you know, someone who's you know about 30 like Tosin or 70 like Doug Benick. There's a lot in there, you know, and there's a lot of differences in, in where they've come in the story. So, you know, I, I think it's important. Like I said, I realize it might seem like a strange subject for me to even bring up to you. You know, but I, I think it's it's important to recognize it and also yeah. to recognize yeah. you for, for your role in that and the role you're continuing to play by having these conversations with people because it is it's really important. Yeah, and I've and I have no problem you you talking about it, but it is yeah. Given it was like I remember there was this like race symposium that we did on Loudwire, and it was like right. myself and AJ Channer from Fire from the Gods and Derek from Sepultura. And uh, a few other few other people, Mark Morton from from Lamb of God, and and the and just us having that conversation, like the comments on Loudwire was just like, yeah, people were just not having it, and and that is that speaks to the idea of perspective, right? Like you know, like there's a big brouhaha right now around Chappelle, right? The Chappelle thing mm -hmm. and and uh, the trans community, and. I think, listen, I think Chappelle's the best and I think it's really funny, but I think that his blind spot is thinking that he is the one that has to be the one to kind of be the benchmark for talking about this issue mm -hmm. that ultimately trans people are the, the best arbiter of their own perspective. Right. <laughs> and you're going to have things to say and expertise in a way that he's just not going to just in the same way as a black man, he's going to have a framework that puts him in a position to better understand that perspective than anyone else who's not. And so I think that's, that's something uh, that we're all kind of having to, to figure out and wade through. And it's unfortunately because like culture war stuff is everything now is a culture war issue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that it doesn't matter what it is, right? Like you can just be living your life and, Something happens in Afghanistan, and now you're going to go on Twitter. You're, you're going to go weigh in. in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're now you're an expert on Afghanistan just because 
it's in, it's top of mind or something else happens and now you're an expert on trade policy and now you're an expert on <laughs> child trafficking like and the truth is most of us are not we know a little bit about a little bit we knew, we we know that something that our favorite pundit told us and we just regurgitate their points right and you know and portend it as as our own opinions uh and the truth is most of these subject matter it, it you'd probably someone should weigh in where that's their area of expertise and that's what they focused on and put the work mm -hmm. in and done the research and then you go okay i'll that's a credible opinion and maybe i can give my layman's um kind of uh you know common sense version of it but let's say common sense doesn't work for everything right like and this is you know and, and that sounds kind of quizzical but like common sense, if you were using common sense, you would think the earth was flat because it's only what you can see. Yeah. Right. So, but a lot of people think, well, no, common, you know, your gut, your common, that's just how you like it. I'm like, okay, can you see radio waves? Can you see Wi Fi? Can you see, see oxygen? <laughs> can, you, can you see bacteria in there? Like, no, no, no. So, common sense only gives you a certain wavelength to actually have a certain perception. So you need tools and people who understand things, but people now think they're we're just because they have the ability to uh, say whatever they want. Now they feel like all opinions are the same just because we e each equally have the ability to project them. Right. So all opinions have the same value. They're yeah. all equally useful because everybody has them. Meanwhile, not at all, not yeah. all the case. And most of the time people, there's still that there's a certain, I find people of a, of a certain age who see something online will still look at it as like, I read this and will regurgitate something that doesn't make sense or that's clearly just somebody's opinion, but because they read it, whether it's on Facebook or, you know, they got some, some clickbait headline at the bottom of an article, you know, while they were scrolling online for somehow that carries as much legitimacy with people as like reading an article in the newspaper did years ago, like, oh no, this, I, I read this. So it must be true. There must be something to it. Meanwhile, there's not. <laughs> so we're in this weird place where it it kind of frames, you know, people's perception is framed by just what they're saying. Like you were saying, like the funhouse mirror thing that you said earlier, it's like you get surrounded by all these things. And it's very easy to isolate yourself in this, this opinion bubble where you're just hearing, you know, it's like an echo chamber where you're just hearing the same things back and forth. It's just reinforcing what you're thinking. So you're not getting any outside perspective, which yeah, you know, I'm, damages I'm, people. I'm in a weird space because I, I try to actually absorb a lot of different sources mm -hmm. and opinions on, on, on things. And a lot of times it, I'll kind of almost feel like, I don't know if, if gaslit is the right term, but I'll feel like almost in a fog of reality because when one event will happen and then you'll get such opposing versions of it or opinions on it that you go, well, I think that person's a smart person. I think that person's a smart person, but they think the exact opposite thing. So it creates this like confusion of like, okay, I know what I think, but then you start questioning yourself and going, am I good at analyzing reality? Yeah. Am, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, and to actually find things out tr true. Like, like, for example, it's like, I can have an opinion on climate change, but am I literally spending my days going through 
the peer reviewed journals and reading all that for most of us aren't we're usually utilizing using a mediary that has done the reading and done the work and we go we trust them and right. we you know but that's how most things are no the actual amount of time it would take to vet every piece of information to its logical end we would all, you you literally couldn't have a job that's all you'd be doing is is fact checking and and researching and so it's just this almost odd time of of feeling in a in a fog of what's real and and being like i get really downtrodden because it bothers me that people have such opposing views and literally hate the other person with the opposite view and they don't value them as being they they regard them as being either being evil or crazy Mm. so that's like a non-starting point right like you were going into a negotiation for like a job or something and literally the person thought you were crazy or evil and you vice versa you would never get to a a, a, you know a meeting point yeah there's no middle ground there it's just there's no there's no good faith yeah right uh, and so that's where we're at. And it, and it, it kind of demoralizes my way of understanding these issues because I'm like, it, like, it almost doesn't matter what I think because I see how far apart people are that it's like futile of even having the conversation. Right. And if I come to you, I go, what about this, 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 and they're like, well, that's fake because you got it from that source and vice versa. And you go, so how do we have any rational conversation if we can't even agree on the basic facts of the matter and that's a really dangerous place and like i said it's it's so i have these periods where i just don't i don't want to watch the news i don't want to watch political because i'm like it's literally just feeding this kind of uh you know you kind of pushing the amygdala and 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 that outrage muscle of like here's you turn out open twitter twitter and goes here's what you should be mad about today <laughs> yep and the question is are you going to take the bait right and I think basically you're over like 35, probably for some reason, the older we get, the more we care about these things, these things that we literally have no control over. Yeah. I'm mad about inflation. What you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> what you going to do? <laughs> you're just going to be mad. That's it. Gonna, is going up. up. Okay. okay. Goes up. It goes down. It's nothing new. Yeah. Like <laughs> always happens. I'm mad about Afghanistan. Were you mad a week ago mm-hmm. before you knew? Did What was the last, like before all that shit went down, was anyone thinking about Afghanistan? No. But that became the most important thing in your life. I'm like, is yeah. it really important? Or do you just listening to people that are telling you you should be mad about it? Right. Yeah. So it's this weird thing of of being kind of mentally hijacked by algorithms yeah. and not having a, a solid defense mechanism to ward it off outside of literally just not turning the things on, right? Not having a Twitter, not having a Facebook, not like you, you it, it it's such a difficult uh space to exist in in a healthy way i think yeah and, and that's something you and i agree on because you've said many times on your show that you feel like in 20 years or more people are going to look back at this period and how you know our unhealthy relationship to social media and you know we're kind of the guinea pigs because all this is still very very new and and how we navigate it and every every single side of it is you know there, there's some of it that's healthy there's a whole lot that's unhealthy yeah. And the idea that we're all spring loaded to be outraged about something on a daily basis, that's taken a toll on everybody too. That I think is something we can't exactly quantify yet. The idea that you're right today, it's Afghanistan tomorrow. It's gas prices. The next day it's, you know, uh, trade agreements. The next day it's something with China or Russia, yeah. whatever it is. Like it's a constant rotation of things that like, this is what we're pissed off about today, which well, is more importantly, bad. more importantly, here's what you're pissed off about. 
but here's whose fault it is. And here's who, who you should be angry. There's always a individualized or at least some group, mm-hmm. various group that deserves blame. And so you have a place to direct your anger. It's a, we, we live in a scapegoat culture. Uh, and sure. and I, think, I think that's, it's one thing to be mad, but you can be mad at the universe. It's one thing to have a direct, like, this is who did it. And they're the enemy. And I think that is where it's dangerous because then it that filters down into tribalism. And so everything is like a line in the sand. Right now, the line of sand is vaccines, right? That's the one that that's we're dealing with. That. And I'm like wishing for like six months from now where that's like we've kind of got through that and that's not really a thing. And hopefully that's not just replaced with another shitty line in the sand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, kind of crossing, crossing my fingers there. Right. Well, and I'm sure you come from a place where you, you know, I, I didn't get COVID. Thankfully I had something in the beginning of last year. My doctor didn't think it was, but, uh, you're against it. Zero out of 10. I'm guessing when it comes to COVID you've had Again, it. getting the disease. Yeah. Against COVID period. Like, yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sucks. And, and the, I think unfortunately, because, uh, we have such an inability to think about things in nuanced ways people tend to only look at it in terms of life or death, right? Well, totally. Well, you survive. So how bad could it be? Yeah. And there's, (laughs) yeah, there's tons of, uh, you know, people that have residual effects that may never go away with regards to neurological stuff with regards to lung capacity. Mm. Uh, you know, there's all, you know, depression they've linked to, to COVID. There's all these different kinds of things. And the fact that if you get sick, right, like, things you just don't think about it's like oh now, now you can't work for a week two weeks now you can't be around it has this and then like i said then once you get sick if you get someone else sick and they get someone like people don't think about the exponential cascading effect and it becomes this unfortunately i think the the conversation fundamentally revolves around the idea be, between individualism and collectivism mm. But the problem with pandemics and diseases that you can catch communicable diseases is you can really only think about it in collectivist terms, right? Like, and you have, and basically it becomes what has priority is the individual have priority over the collective, mm. but you know, and I, I, I like the, the, um, analogy I made on Twitter one time was, it was about like the zombie apocalypse where like someone gets bit and they like hide their hand <laughs> and then they you know and they and they always they turn and they like they eat eat someone mm-hmm. but you know it's just this weird thing where it's just not da- it's just not dangerous enough mm-hmm. for a certain group of people to not think it's important and by the way and it's still they're they're still the minority but it's still a big mi- it's still a, a lot of people mm-hmm. um and it makes me think that it's just well, wh- how dangerous would it have to be for that group of people? Like, okay, so we, so seven hundred thousand people. They're like, hey, you know what? They were old. They're fat. Ah, whatever. They, you know, they. So they're willing to deal with it. So what would it have had to be? Would it have to be five million people, ten million? Like, what's the threshold where it becomes the collective uh, threat? Is so the truth is. Once it gets to that point, actually, it's still the individual that matters because you're worried about, will I be one of? Yeah. So, so, so even within that context, it's still about the individual. So, and and the the solutions are only collective, right? 
everyone, it's like a co-op, right? The vaccines only work if enough people get it that you reach herd immunity. And so the question is, do you eradicate it or do you go, hey, we're just going to live with it? And so that's just the, the difference in it. So, and, and this stuff, I always feel, I hate talking about it because like I said, it's so contentious. It's so tribalized. Now I've expressed myself in opinions and now I will be viewed as being on the, this side of the ledger. Yeah. And that already yeah. divides. And I, so it's like, it even th- then I'm, I become reticent to even want to have these conversations because I don't, I don't think uh, they really move hearts and minds. Right. I think people are pretty, you know, girded in their, their perspective. Yeah. yeah. At and, this point, everyone's entrenched in wherever they land on this issue. They're kind of staying there. You know, yeah. I had one productive conversation with somebody because there was a point last year, pre-vaccine and everything there was a point in 2020 where uh, the fatality rate in Jersey was 8%. It was higher than the national average. And, you know, I was having the conversation with somebody who said like, yeah, but that's, is that something we should be worried about? You know, or need to shut everything down for and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, look at it this way. We had classrooms, you know, in, in, in school, we had classes of about 25 kids, two of them die. That doesn't give you pause. That doesn't freak you out enough to think like two people died from this. There's 23 of us left. Could it be more? Maybe. But I was like, when you, when you make it that small, I feel because then it, it kind of made sense to that person. I don't know that they changed their view overall. I don't think so. But just the idea that you can actually bring it down to like, okay, this is how close you are to it. Does that mean anything? But yeah, I don't know if you and I are changing anybody's mind <laughs> just talking about no, it now. But no. and I'm and like I said, and I try not to I think the difficult thing is having the conversations and not being judgmental. Because when if I'm let's say I'm really trying to convince someone of a, of a particular idea or sway them, if I'm being really judgmental, like you're a bad person, you're this, they're gonna listen to you even less. And so so everything has to kind of start with empathy and understanding that like I understand the perspective, even if I don't agree with their perspective, I can understand where they're coming from. That doesn't sure. inherently mean that they're bad or, or, or Ill, have ill intent. You know, it's just people tend to folk when you have an issue that, that is so like kind of cut and dry, uh, people tend to just focus on their argument and they just ignore the other one. Right. And that's, that's the way you kind of legitimize it to yourself is by, by not having a fully, formed version of it because i it's like having a uh you know uh prosecution and defense lawyer in your brain right and when the mm-hmm. prosecution goes up all they're going to do is tell you all the shit that helps their case and the defense is going to do the same thing but neither is a really honest brokering of the ideas right they're trying to win so we should not do that to ourselves we should not speak an argument to ourselves like a prosec- prosecution attorney or defense attorney, we should be able, we should hear the entire argument and go, Hey, maybe some shit is 5149 where I don't 100% believe this one thing over this is just that in some decisions, right? Like if you're going to vaccinate, either you are vaccinated or you're not, there's no in between. Right. So that, so it's, some things are very, unfortunately it's, it's zero sum there's, there's no fence yeah. sitting, you know? So makes, that's what makes it tough. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's this weird moment that we're in. And, you know, I, I, all this is just aggravated by all the stuff on social media, which is why even when it comes to that, it's like, it's okay to take a break. <laughs> it's okay to step back because there's only so, you know, there's only so much you and I can, can talk about this. And we're also obviously of a similar opinion, but you know, there, there's only so much, like some people are tuning out just based on this conversation probably and saying like, you know what, I don't want to hear this. I don't need to hear this, you know, ridiculous, uh, 
Yeah, and I and that these guys way, hack into a microphone. What do they know? <laughs> and that bothers me. Like I, like you said, I you try and be honest, but then sometimes I actually am worried about turning people off. Whereas some people they don't really care about pissing people off, or they like it. They like being a troll. They like being a, a provocateur. And it's never my intention, right? I want to, I want to, like you know, I had someone. I did a you know twenty minute monologue on Chappelle. Uh, you know, uh, last week, and someone, you know, just on my Twitter goes, I disagreed with your with your thing, but really good show. And I was like, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's right, it's right. the point. I the point isn't for me to you to agree with me on everything. Thing is, so, so hey, I'm just being honest. Here's my perspective. Hey, maybe if we we meet in person, we'll we'll talk about it. I'll hear your perspective. You know, totally. I think that's okay. Yeah, it's we we can it, it's okay as long as everyone's up for having the discussion. Like you said, it's knowing someone's on the other side and not being up for even going into it that's that's dangerous when we can't even have the conversation that's yeah. what it's like and and i like that you're you know you've said many times you want your show to be for everybody you don't want to you know polarize people and you don't want to you know put people off of the show because ultimately you're you know for the most part talking to musicians and it kind of should be for everybody you know as long as you're a fan of the music as long as you're into hearing about the stories and the journey that's cool but i I respect the fact that you're so authentic and that you will talk about mental health or that you've done, you know, episodes around the last two elections, or, you know, you will occasionally talk and, you know, your, your opening monologue about what is going on, you know, you were talking about things about dealing with the, the pandemic and just real life and talking about that. And, you know, obviously you're not doing it to be like, listen, if you disagree, just stop now, see you next week. (laughs) And then, you know, when I'm talking to so-and-so, but I think that's important in that you you even recognize like I'm putting this out there. I mean, as much as any podcast, just as much as social media is kind of an exercise in self-indulgence, it's still like I'm, I'm so good. I'm going to put myself out there. But at the same time, just the idea of like, listen, I'm saying this. You're welcome to disagree. But like this, these are just my thoughts. There you go. And in a way, that's that's healthy. And there's a therapeutic element to just saying it and getting it out just for the sake of you getting past it. Because, you know, people are welcome to disagree, obviously, as long as they can, you know, have the discussion, be civil about it. You don't need somebody, you know, trolling you or being like, I disagree. And here's all the reasons you're wrong. But I like that you've done that with your show. Yeah, it's primarily you're talking to other musicians. You're talking to friends about your experiences and your careers and all that. But the fact that you're willing to talk about those other real life elements, not for the sake of putting anybody off, because that's what's going on. That's just real. I, I think that's really important that you're just putting it out there and saying, like, look, I want this to be for everybody, but I can't n- ignore all these other elements because life. Yeah. Well, I, well, I don't think many people, no, I, don't, I don't know if I put it that way, but th- there are certain people I think do, they don't realize how divisive they're being. They don't realize that the things they're saying are like literally like, like, because I think it's so normalized to go, these people are bad. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. And, you know, of, of course, everything shouldn't be like, right. Like, like there did, there doesn't need to be certain things that are like, Hey, I'm, this is for these people. Mm-hmm. This is just going to turn these people off and is what it is. Um, but I just want to at least be aware of it and go, Hey, you, you might disagree with me on this and I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not trying to piss you off. I'm just, just giving, giving my perspective and just putting it out there and dude, and, I've seen reviews on on uh, you know Apple Podcasts. People, this guy is a lefty. This blah, blah. and so I, you know, that's all you know. And I, I'm like, all right, that's your opinion. I turned you off. Uh, didn't mean to do that, but it is what it is. And I, by the way, and I'm, 
I've had conversations, you know, on Twitter, I'm getting the people who are to the left of me who have gotten into it and they think I'm, you know, you know, coming from another perspective that they don't agree with as well. So I've, I kind of get it from both sides, but tr- truth be told recently, I've almost been trying to avoid all that stuff altogether and kind of try and talk about politics as little as possible in, in online spaces. Cause I just don't think it's super productive right now. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the truth is a lot of it too, is like kind of speaking back to what I said earlier is me generally, like I said, I don't just an event happens. I have an opinion and I say it. What I do is I absorb kind of the zeitgeist of how people are reacting to it. And like I said, the fog of that becomes so overwhelming that I almost go, I don't even know what's real right now. Right. I don't even yeah. know. So it's like, I give, I give an example, like, uh, you know, I've, I'm, my opinions on the January 6th uh, events, you know, the storming the Capitol and you know someone like Glenn Greenwald, who's like just given his whole perspective about how it's not really a uh, insurrection and here's why they're screwing up. And then, and it's someone where you're like, I think Glenn Greenwald has a very particular perspective that I don't agree with a lot, but at the same time, ju- just because of it, I don't want to completely say what he's saying has no validity. So it's this thing of like, well, if he's saying this and then all these people over here, I respect are saying this, what's the truth, right? What's the, what's the proper, um, you know, just analysis of how, how do we understand an, an event and what r- it really is? Cause you have to measure for all these things. You have to measure for bias. You have to measure for what they have to gain by creating a particular narrative. You have to vet their sources. Are they being, are they an honest broker? Right. Or are they trying to, or are they using, sometimes people use true things, but then cherry pick and only use the true things that help their narrative, right? And that takes a lot of work, right? And it becomes frustrating and flummoxing. So I literally, a lot of times I, uh, something will happen. I'm like, I have nothing to say here because I could almost poke 50 holes in my own argument, right? And right. so I end up in this like, I mean, that's basically why I'm a centrist and I'm a fucking Libra where I'm always like being <laughs> same all the sides. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm like, that's a good point. That's kind of a good point. And they're diametrically opposed. But usually I think things just because that doesn't mean everything ends up in the middle. It's just, it's just, I don't know. So, so I just end up almost confused <laughs> and depressed about the state <laughs> of things, you know? No, it is. It's with everything being so in your face. It's just, it gets overwhelming. It's really just, uh, let's, let's I'm, get, I'm jealous of, of people who are very certain about their, this is how it is. I'm like, how'd they, how'd they get so certain? Yeah. How's I, I wish I could walk through and just be that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just not be completely unaffected by uncontaminated by other people's opinions and logic and anything else. It's like, this is how it is like, oh, okay. Lucky you. Maybe it is a Libra thing. I think you're right. We're like, I want everyone to get along. I'm fine with seeing both sides, but like, can we just agree? Can we just get along? <laughs> let's talk about so you know let's let's get into something good you know let's listen i'm going to talk to you know so and so today let's enjoy the interview you know as opposed to like don't pick apart everything i said at the top of the show <laughs> but um let's get a little let's pivot a little bit though in into music or back to music um because hey this good news bad wolves record finally get a bad wolves record um no tour yet to speak of but it's it's forthcoming fingers crossed um, it is I realize that'll be announced down the line, but, but the record's out finally, when it comes to 
you know, this is now your, you know, you've been the band for a couple of years now. And is it something where, I mean, you brought in the, the second single, uh, House of Cards, which is great. That was an idea you brought to the band or was it like a full song that you presented? Um, It was pretty much, I had a version up, up of it through like two choruses. Mm-hmm. And then this guy, Max Karen, who used to be in the band, we record a lot of the guitars and stuff with him. So pretty much I had like a version of a verse and then John and him helped kind of fabricate a verse slash pre-chorus, but it's all based off the same. The song is literally like two chord, two chords, mm-hmm. but, but in riffs. Uh, so yeah, so it was pretty much my, my song musically and it, uh, it just came out really good. And the thing about it is it's not technically a single. It was just something we re- we released beforehand. And ah. because the, the label, they, they are kind of changing their strategy where so many bands Usually they'll release three or four songs before an album comes out. So you have a good feel for a record and they're kind of doing something a little different where they're really trying to keep all of the streaming focus on the lead single. So house of cards wasn't even available on streaming until the album came out. So it was, you can only, you can only see it on, on YouTube. It was more just to kind of, uh, get it played on uh, liquid metal on Mm -hmm. Sirius XM to kind of, give a little bit of uh you know throw a bone to like the more metal community and that those those fans and also just show another side of of the band so there wasn't a lot of material released before the album came out but uh listen i'm just glad the song's on the record i think it's a little more representative of my style and what i kind of if i'm gonna write a song for bad wolves like the vibe that i kind of want to do and it's so it has a lot of kind of things that are i think traditional to my sensibilities but through kind of the bad wolves prism you know right <laughs> through the lens of bad wolves yeah but i mean people seem to like it and i i hope they do and, the, and like i said the record is just top to bottom you know it's there's just a lot of bangers on there and you know yeah. it's it's cool to be a part of a band with that has so much talent in terms of writing and production and like so we work with some different producers and, and songwriters with different songs but it all sounds like bad wolves at the end of the day yeah, I mean, I, I Lifeline hooked me immediately just because it's like it's catchy, it's heavy. That checks two big boxes for me. So like, this is going to be awesome. This you know new record finally get to hear the new singer. This is going to be great. And then you actually heard House of Cards because you played it on the X Band podcast. And I was like, yeah. this is even better. <laughs> like, this is great. These guys are they've they've got it. Like they've locked in because there's always that oh new singer kind of thing. There's always that hesitation. Like how's this going to go? You know, because it happens. You know, bands change singers, band change lineups. It's not that, you know, crazy a thing, but there's always that moment, you know, before people hear it, where they're like, oh, I wonder how it's going to go. But I loved it. I, I thought it was a great song. Like, I thought, you know, as, as great as Lifeline was, I thought House of Cards kind of stepped it up, you know, and in the context of the album, as of when we're recording this, I haven't heard the album yet. Yeah. But it, it's, I'm excited. I think it's, it's going to be great just based on, you know, the, the range between those two songs. Cause yeah, it still sounds like Bad Wolves which is great. Like you guys have your thing, but at the same time, like those songs are, are different in their own way, but thankfully sound like the same band, which is, which is exciting, you know, to hear some kind of range as opposed to something that could just sound like, Nope, every song kind of sounds like, <laughs> you know, this is just like, this is our sound and this is what you can expect. So the idea that it could get riffier, heavier, there's some screaming stuff, you know, some, some harder vocals on house of cars, as opposed to something more, to use a well-worn term, radio friendly, like lifeline, which is more what you'd expect to hear on rock or metal radio. 
it, it was it was great to hear that range where it's like ah okay this is going to be fun when you write something do you sit down like to write a do you write bad wolves riffs or ideas to order or do you just play and write and just figure out kind of what if you're going to use it for bad wolves or for vegas nerve or just keep it locked away until the right project comes along do you sit with with something in mind or do you just play and then decide what fits what project yeah i mean truth be told i do feel like at least when it comes to the heavier side of bad wolves there is a sound mm. and there's a style that i did not cultivate that was john and max and so it's it is like kind of attuning yourself to a certain frequency of like this is a bad wolf thing and sometimes it's just a groove sometimes mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. a certain type of of riff and something that just because to me like to so that snappy almost funky groove that the that the band has is what is unique to the band and so sometimes it'll it'll be like that which is like house of cards where i was that main riff i was working on that for like a year and a half like different versions of it different uh really kind of locking into what it also also ultimately became um and there was a another song that I, that I wrote that did not make the record um that goes back to actually to the last uh, re uh recording sessions for the record where i was like i'm going to write a bad wolf song right that was like the the kind of modus operandi and then there's songs like better off this way from the previous record which was a song for my other band vegas nerve that i thought could work for bad wolves and so i kind of pitched the song and ended up uh, being on the record in a in a much different form more or less you retold it to give it the bad wolves sound it wasn't even the bad wolf sound it just became uh the original song was a was just a little more electronic or not electronic just electric guitars and kind of a little more riffed out and then it turned into more of a ballad type thing um but you know so sometimes it'll be it'll be like that you know and and now that i kind of understand it i like i said i, I felt like i had to teach myself what the feel was because when i joined the band in uh like the summer of or spring of 2016 you know the, uh like 10 songs had already been recorded you know and so i it was like and it was like this thing of at that time i was vegas nerve was my main thing so i was more in a this prog rock mindset and so i had to kind of like put my metal hat back on and especially with battles it was very modern metal uh low tunings kind of crazy rhythms and so it was like i had to almost prove to myself i could write material that was designed for the band and feel like that you know because like i said it wasn't sonically it wasn't my vision uh and so but now i i do feel like i understand that but i also feel like with the new album we've graduated to a certain point where we can really expand on what that means. Like, direct, for example, that we purposefully on this record didn't have really any of those like gent kind of like those kind of because we felt it was cool and it was very uh, instrumental to the band's earlier identity, but we also didn't want to feel like we were just repeating ourselves or doing something that was stereotypical right. for the band. So we we wanted to kind of expand out of that a bit. Doesn't mean it'll never not exist but it's also like you don't want these things to be a crutch yeah and you don't so, want to put yourself in a box either where it's yeah like, this this is what we do so we're not going to evolve because this is just this is us that's it yeah it doesn't yeah, that the band could be more we can do like even like the bridge and house of cards which is like 
something John probably wouldn't do because mm-hmm. his in his like he has this like anti palm muting <laughs> rule like with, with bad wolves or it's like but it's like dude that's what I do you know that's my style right and so I got you know and I think it works great for the band and I think it's fine um and yeah so it's the idea of just taking something that's there and this expanding on it and and but with that despite going hey we're not we're not going to just repeat the same stuff we also tried to keep it within a certain frame to, to go hey we still want someone who listened to previous records to listen to this and feel like it's the same band and so we kind of didn't go too out of the box to like so that people don't feel like well, well what is this i don't even rec- recognize this so in a way it's a transitional record so i think the next album we're going to push that even more and and say hey the band can be even bigger and broader and more ambitious right and it is it's the the evolution is is apparent i mean the sound you know different vocalists you're kind of you're in your groove and now you're at a point where you're you're writing in line or at least you hit you have more of a gauge which is just you know that happens through time you get more everybody tightens up it's the reason so many bands you know like they they really find the groove on the road. Like, well, we made the record, but the songs really came to life and we were playing them live, you know, it's because you just lock in with each other in a way. And then, you know, that only happens through time. So it's just part of the evolution where everyone's just going to, you know, like you're going to bring your, your flavor to the band, you know, and then you got DL who's going to bring his flavor to the band. And it, it makes sense that of course it's, it's going to move in a certain direction. And it's not just going to be like, well, we've always done it this way because who pulls that off? ACDC. That's it. <laughs> it's only one band who's like, no, this is what we do. And that's it. <laughs> we don't know anything else. We're not interested in anything else. So it just makes sense. But like you said, it still sounds like you still sounds like the band. Yeah. And, uh, and I personally think the record speaks for itself, you know, and people are going to have that, that journey with it. And whether there's an old fan who goes, you know what? It doesn't really do it for me as much as what the band previous was. And I'm, may not support the band i think that's completely fine i've done that right there are bands where there was a member change or a stylistic change and i became less of a fan than i was but i do think there's also going to be probably a whole new audience right who's maybe this oh, is sure. the first time they're discovering the band and they go i like this this is great this is going to be their entry point and especially i mean dl man has a almost like pop voice it's you know he's like really great control he knows how to really bring it down understands dynamics and i think that will appeal to the band to a whole other audience and so in in many ways it's a reestablishing, but it's also rebuilding and kind of forging forward and you you kind of you know hopefully people come along with this for the ride some people won't and it, it that it when i say it is what it is i literally mean that like you just you can't really worry about that, you know, because um, ultimately you create the work, you put it out, you do shows, but you're not in control of how people respond. Right. Right. No, you can't. I can't make someone like it. I can't uh, and I can't make if they dislike it. There's nothing I can do. They have to. That's something they have to deal with on their own. So it's our job to go out there and make connections with fans and reestablish ourselves and say, hey, here's. Here's the new version of the band. And like I said, the record, you can't fuck with. The record is really great. So I think for us, the next step is playing live, be, you know, really focusing on, on the live show and, and making these songs sound great in that environment and just putting on a good show. What was it like having to adapt into, you know, coming from a group like God forbid, where it was more, 
he was smaller, tighter, and more of a family vibe to it. Adapting from that to becoming part of a, a bigger machine like Bad Wolves. Like, how did you, how were you able to transition to that? Because it seems like dynamic wise, it's just going to be a different feel. And when you're so used to being in one way, you yeah. know, all of a sudden now you're part of this, this bigger thing that's in another kind of moving in another direction. And it's, it, you're walking into an established group more or less as well. What was it like having to, to fit well, into that? I mean, tough. And it's still, it's still something we're figuring out because like I said, about 10 songs are written, were already done, but then a whole bunch of really important songs were put together after I joined the band and we got a record deal. So like officer down, no masters, um, Jesus slaves, uh, hear me now remember when like, i mean like half the record like so we, there were 10 songs but like a, like three or four of those songs didn't even make the record so mm -hmm. so i did get to impact some of those songs whether it's hear me now being there putting that version of it together i co helped co-write no masters you know i did the guitar solo for um uh officer down and so i was involved part of the process but i was in this almost let me slow because there was already something they were doing that's working and so the thing you don't want to do is have a situation where it's like too many cooks in the kitchen and you're so focused on uh being involved that you 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 fuck up the chemistry right so i was right. i was very like i tried to tread softly and respect everyone's kind of creative space but you know help where i can you want to be of help you know so be because you can be in the studio and you can just fuck shit up by getting in the way of a flow right and then the second record, I got to be a lot more involved. Like I said, I, I brought a song to the band, uh, Better Off This Way. I wasn't, so basically John worked with Max and they wrote a bunch of material. And then I kind of came in later and went to Vegas. And then I had a ton of suggestions. So I kind of put my stamp on those songs. And then there was a couple more songs like LA Song and For a Friend that one one of those me and john wrote together on my own and then the other one me and chris worked on we brought that so i was a, a lot more a part of the process of uh just putting songs together and being you know just being part of the process and then unfortunately on the and so that was me like going hey let me interject myself but but try and learn okay what can i bring something to the table that's worthy of being in this band because it's a it's a high standard and then the third record the one we're, we're doing now like unfortunately because because of the environment we were all being like pushed out and not like i was like less involved early on before the change uh and then once we got to yell in the band it, it created a whole different environment where it, it became a lot more collaborative uh you know, we'd be in the studio, it'd, it'd be every guy was in the studio, which never happened before, really, or very, very rarely. And so that collective environment was really refreshing. And it's like, but unfortunately, like so much was already written by that point, it was, it wasn't like we could build really build it from the ground up. So but it does establish, I think, an environment that when it's time to make new music, everyone will be involved, it will feel more like a normal quote unquote band. Um, but dude, there's just a lot of talent in the band. There's a lot That's of record. Sure. So it's like John is a beast, DL's a beast. And you're like, so it creates almost a competitive environment of like, man, I better bring some heat to the table, or your song's not gonna make the record. Like I said, there were songs, there's you know, 
half a dozen eight songs that didn't make this record that are great wow Re- like really good so I mean, we literally probably if we could have went for a couple months we could have had a double record right but a lot of stuff just and that's because we were working on the record for so long i mean john probably has 10 songs musically that didn't make the record and i have a handful and so it's this thing of like okay this is really cool and you know and it's and when you have people of that level it's, it's going to be good one way or another right and then you're going to get back in the room together and you're going to be playing shows and really tightening yeah. it up and then that's just going to breed more more bonding where it's like oh we we're settled into this now we it's only going to be more inspiring because it's one thing to write you know obviously it's you know from my own experience too it's one thing to be at home and working on things or sharing ideas virtually but when you get in the room a whole different energy now yeah. it's like now it's now we can really like bring this to a new level yeah and and keep my like I said we've always worked with other songwriters um and i'd love for this next not for all the songs but for you know some of the songs and even including the record we, we just did but i would like to try on the next record to, to go hey let's just try and not work with any other songwriters let's just see if let's see what we do just on our own and go do we even need to do that because i think i'm saying having dl in the band because he's a writer and he's a producer and he plays guitar like it really makes the band way more self-sufficient uh and not having to kind of go hey we need help with this we need help with that and so like I said, it's all an experiment, right? It's all you just, hey, let's go down this road. Let's try this out. Uh, because sometimes when you have certain techniques that work and have been effective, sometimes bands are scared to change the formula, right? right? Yeah. Oh, this works. We can't, we can't follow yeah. the formula because we know this works. Yeah. And so I think there's going to have to be kind of some testing of, of those boundaries and willing to take some risks to hopefully get to a different place and we'll, we'll see we'll see where that goes like i said I'm, I'm definitely not uh i'm not running the show and i'm not uh you know there's you know it's it, you know john is still the the band leader in terms of kind of running the show with that stuff so uh but we'll see we'll see what happens but right now we're dear monsters is out and hopefully people can just enjoy that and but we're always thinking about the next thing and always thinking about yeah. writing you know kind of can't help now one of the biggest moments i imagine for you is when god forbid gets the call to do Ozfest back in in 04 when you get called up for that because you've been you guys have been at it for for years and been touring and making records and getting by but Ozfest is like you know at, at that time was like the tour you know to kind of jump on and now all of a sudden you're playing bigger audiences you're on this package thing which is is its own animal <laughs> you know traveling package tour what was that like to get all of a sudden have this opportunity to like, you know, I mean, Ozfest is well established. I mean, that's started in 96, 97, I think was the first Ozfest. So at this point, like everybody knows what Ozfest is. And now you guys are picked to do it. What was it like to have that experience to all of a sudden? It was a dream come true. It was, it was yeah. life-changing really to, because our roots were so humble. I mean, literally, I mean, we, we were, we started playing in basements and in VFW halls and really the bands that inspired us early on whether it's metallica or slayer or machine head like it felt mythical they didn't feel like real like we didn't feel like we were connected to that in any way right it was some someone you saw on your screen on mtv or a a dvd you bought uh so to kind of slowly make that progression where like i said almost feels like like in sports right where you're i'm a high school player and so i'm 
if I'm good in high school, then I'm like a local guy. But then I go, then you go to college and hey, man, now everyone's way better. So, so if I'm really good in college, then I'm like really good. And then you go to the big leagues. And if you can be an all-star there, then you're like the best of the best. So every step was kind of like, oh, when we were a local band and we, we started actually making an impact there. And that was like, oh man, we actually we actually did this. We made, we made an impact. And then you're touring, you get a record deal. Now you're that's to me like the college and you're out there in the underground and you're, you're working way up and you're getting better. And then, and literally being at Ozfest, it was the big leagues. I mean, we we're doing shows with literally, it was Slipknot, Slayer, Hatebreed, God forbid, right? That's the top of the heap for the, the genre we, we play. And so being not only there and being able to see it every night and learn from it, but also holding your own was a, an extremely validating experience. And so, like I said, it changed us because we didn't really have great ambitions, I think, before that tour. And then once you're there and you're like, we're around the best of the best, and you go, well, I want what they have. I want to be as good as them. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was a dream come true. It was the first time we had our own tour bus. It was the first time we had a full crew. So we kind of got to live that rock star kind of fantasy for the first time ever then to, and to some degree to, to a bad way, because it kind of spoiled us to like, think like that we were on that level and we really weren't, we were just, so it kind of was like too much <laughs> to like, you know, we were, we're, you know, if you're playing with Slayer every day, you start thinking you are Slayer. It's like, no, you're not. You're just, you're right. still God forbid. You still got, a lot of work to do so there's a van waiting for you when you get off this tour yeah <laughs> you're gonna exactly you know. and now so it like i said it it ultimately helped with the the ambition but also kind of hurt us in that we got a little too big for our britches and i think maybe, maybe some of the heads got a little swollen but it was it's still something to this day that you know it's like john you know in devil driver that's when i became friends with john like right if i don't do that tour I'm not in the position I am now. So those relationships, those experiences are still pervasive and important and they impact you for forever. Right. And as far as like having those big opportunities, I mean, you did a stint playing with Lamb of God and opening for Metallica. When you're playing a venue like Madison Square Garden. I didn't play Madison Square Garden. but oh, You didn't play that show? Oh, okay. I, was I did the first third of the tour. Okay. And I went to the Madison Square Garden show, but I didn't. Okay. Play. Well, when you're stepping on stages of that caliber, let's yeah. do that. Let me backtrack. Let me just edit all that. Out. I played many <laughs> arenas on that tour. Just That's now. what I'm saying. Like when you're, when you're stepping onto stages like that. And yeah. at the same time, you know, this is oh nine ish and yeah. And Lamb of God is established enough that their audience is showing up for the show. It's not everybody there to see Metallica. Like there's a Lamb of God audience coming out to the show. Does that spoil you at a certain point? Like, do you step on stage and just say, like, now we're fucking talking. This is what it's about. Or is there a part of you that thinks, like, maybe this is a little too big or I'm I'm playing to the people in the back and this is maybe a larger scale than was comfortable. Like, how did playing on that level, even for a little while, even for the first third of a tour, how did that feel? And did it did it change your perception or, or your ambitions when it came to like, oh, this is what it can be at this yeah. level? Well, it that tour in a way how. Ozfest validated my band doing the Lamb of God thing validated me as an individual player where I kind of saw something in myself that I didn't realize was there where I was like, Oh, I could do, I'm not bound by just being in this band that I, I have a skill set that can possibly 
surpass where I'm where I'm at. And it was it was, it happened to happen at a time where things were very fracturous within God forbid my brother had quit and it was like I was just in a very dark mental space and I had a lot of work mental emotional work I had to do I mean for years after that for two or three years I had to kind of figure out who I was and what I wanted and mm-hmm. and and exercise a lot of demons and do a lot of personal work but within that and so that a lot of that was finding myself as a person as a 30 year old guy who spent 10 years on the road and kind of didn't know who he was and was so his identity was so wrapped up in what I was doing at the time. And so that goes, and like I said, making those connections with the guys in Metallica and Gojira was on the tour and going, all right, like, like it, it goes, Hey, this is a different level. And it's, this is a cool level to be, but I didn't, I didn't leave that tour and go, don't you know who I am? I'm Mr. I'm, you know, that, that I think would have been not wise to think that I had earned a place uh, at that level without really doing the work and, and kind of getting there to where, but it, but it was great to kind of see how that side lived and see how the professionalism and the, you know, the production and just going, Hey, these are, you know, I might've been on that other tour, but now I'm literally rubbing elbows with the biggest metal band of all time and a band like Lamb of God that is one of the biggest metal bands around and, and one of the best, right? Not just they're big, but they're incredible. Uh, yeah, it just, it, it definitely changes you. And so it inspired me to, I, you know, I started a cover band. I didn't start when I joined a cover band. When I got back home and diversified my playing and started taking more gigs outside of God forbid. And, and so that kind of became the beginning of the second half of my career in many ways. Mm. See, and and the the idea of having to reckon with some of these things that you're realizing, you know, part of it, maybe some of it is turning 30, maybe some of it is just the getting caught in the, some of the repetitiveness of the, of the cycle, the album tour kind of cycle. And all of a sudden it's 10 years have passed and it's like, Ooh, was there, you know, as I said, on, on your show, you talk a lot about mental health and, and the importance of it. And you're an advocate for therapy and for people seeking out help and, and handling that stuff, because if you ignore it, it gets out of control. You know, it's something it's been a repeated theme, especially in the last year and a half on this show, you've talked it about a lot. Was there a particular incident or, or a moment where you realized that's something you were neglecting that kind of brought into focus or was it something that you were kind of always aware of and then finally kind of chose to handle? Like, when is it that was something that became that you realized there, there was importance uh, that you needed to place on it that you hadn't before? Well, I had uh, basically had two, two uh, experiences where I had been, you know, basically I've been doing the wrong thing on tour while having girlfriends. Is that uh, you know, kind of diplomatic way to put it? You know, and that kind of coincided, like I said, with my brother left the band in 2000, at the beginning of 2009. And I went on this whirlwind tour for about six months uh, and then right into the Lamb of God thing. And it was just this, this thing of, uh, you know, essentially the chickens came home to roost, mm. right? So it's like this idea that you think of yourself in a certain way. I'm a good guy. I'm, you know, I, you know, you have this perception of yourself that ultimately wasn't that accurate, right? I had not been that good of a guy, and I had to figure out why I was, why you know, because ultimately when you hurt people you care about, right? 
you got to do the work and go, okay, well, how did I get here? I didn't intentionally do this. So then why did I do it? Right. And so you go, well, what's wrong with me? What am I searching for? What am I, what hole am I trying to fill? What pain am I trying to, to, uh, erase right through whatever, uh, way I was expressing that. And those actions hurt people I cared about. And I had to somehow make amends. I don't know if I ever accomplished that. Right. But, uh, but you do what you can and you, you, you know, you, you do your best to like say, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. And, you know, you know, sorry also doesn't mean that much. It's like, you know, cause the sometimes in some degree, the damage is done, right. You can't right. put the genie back in the bottle. So it's not necessarily about, Hey, I'm going to go and fix the past. It's like, well, I just have to become a more accountable person and I have to, you know, so, you know, I, it took a couple of years of, and, and with that, it coincided with this point in being in the band of going, Hey man, this band might not last that coincided with the band for the first time in my life going, maybe this, I might not do this. Like the band had kind of fallen off a bit and we were struggling. And like I said, it was like kind of trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, right. with the band, but also with myself. And so that was a, probably from like, you know, end of 2009 to like 2012 was like this period of me, like figuring out who I was and, and kind of putting all together. But it, it, it coincided with a lot of different events you know and uh but it was work i had to do it was work i had yes. to do on myself and become a more accountable person a more honorable person uh, a more honest person and someone who goes you know what in these aspects i've been taking the easy way out and i kind of need to to actually deal with some challenges that are just part of adulthood is basically i had to grow up in a lot of different ways mm. um and so that was, yeah. And that was, and a lot of things, you know, it's like, I, I lived with my grandmother for 10 years and she passed away. So I moved out of her house. I had to just like figure out how to just be a grown up, how to be, an, how to be a, 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 an independent human being, you know? And so, and I've always been a late bloomer, everything, like everything I do is always two or three or four or five years after normal people. <laughs> I eventually get there, but, um, sometimes it's, it's, it's kicking and, and screaming, you know, but I think having that moment of just calling yourself out on your own bullshit right? and going, that's, those are great moments in life because it fucking sucks, but it also goes, Hey, at the end of this, if I actually do the work, I'll figure some stuff out and I'll, I'll do better, you know? And so, and a lot, a lot of that was also figuring out what the hell I wanted to do with my life. You know, because that that was the thing. I think a lot of people, maybe a lot of people know what they want to do, but I, you think you should know what you want to do. But, you know, sometimes you go, actually, what do you want? And you go, I don't actually really know. You know, and, I, and I, it, 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 that was a process of actually going, well, what do I want? What are my values? What are right? Like, because uh, sometimes, you know, I tend to go with the flow. And so you tend to just be in environments that you didn't necessarily cultivate. You kind of just went where life took you. And it was so taking a little bit more control. Right. And being open too. at that point, you know, with what's going on in the band, then now it's like, and, you know, coinciding with, you know, I have this gig I'm filling in, in this major band and it's, it's validating your, your value as a player too. Now, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, it's it kind of those moments where it's hard to not look at it as like, oh, that's right. I'm part of this group. 
but I'm also myself at the same time. And who is that? I've been part of this group for so long that where's my identity? Where do I fit in this? Because you're so used to being part of, a, you know, I've been through a bunch of bands myself, none of which got out of the blocks. But there is that part where you're so kind of entrenched in the group that you need to figure out like, well, what about me? Like I'm so used to defaulting to a democracy or doing what I'm told or kind of whatever role people fall into in that. And there's a point where it's like, oh, right, where am I coming from in this? <laughs> what works for me? Because you could ignore that for so long and get by, but there's always a point where you kind of, you know, it catches up to you and you're like, oh, right. When left by myself in the room, what am I going to do? And yeah. it's hard. It's hard to look at yourself in the mirror that way and kind of straighten all that stuff out. And it takes, it takes work but it's, it's worth it. And so I'm always interested in kind of what it took to get people to the point because, you know, I had those moments in my life where I ignored things. And then the point where they caught up to me and it couldn't, I've been over it a hundred times. I don't want to get into it with everybody now, you know, particularly, you know, in the last year of shows, but it's, it's tough to kind of look at that, but it's, it's necessary. And it's something that, you know, I'm glad we're in a place where, you know, you're talking about it. I've talked about it with, you know, several people on my show and it's just part of the conversation, you know, the mental health part where it's like, you kind of need to figure this stuff out because it is important and it's, it's going to catch up to you. Actually, Springsteen said it great in his autobiography, which I happened to, to get through that book uh, shortly before I got into therapy myself in saying dealing with depression in his 50s. He said, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it was basically, you know, if you don't slay the demons of your childhood and of your young adulthood, they will follow you the rest of your life and they will haunt you the rest of your life. And that is you know, as someone who didn't deal with them until much later in life and then had a hard time kind of getting through it, it was like, wow, that's a, that's a reference point for, okay, what am I ignoring here? <laughs> what am I not? Because, you know, especially a dude who's had insane success and probably is insulated from a lot of those things, you know, in as much as like you're getting supported and everyone's telling you, yes, it's, it's hard. It's tough for people to kind of look at that and kind of recognize like, what do I need to do in this situation? So I'm always interested in that. So thank you for being so honest about just, you know, on your show and just with me, just in talking about it. Cause it's, it's important for people to hear that because it's not easy. It's well, not I think there's, there's power in going. I'm not that great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, but, no, because I think so much of our identities are wrapped around the idea that I'm a good person. Yes. Right. Yeah. Without actually understanding what that even means. Mm. Right. Like what does that actually mean? Uh, and and going and you know what I've gathered from that is that it's not that there are good people over here and bad people over there. It's that human beings are generally motivated by incentives. We respond to incentives, and a lot of the incentives yes. happen to be revolved around our self-interest, right? We're not so it's like instead of looking at ourselves and going, "I'm a good person," it's where we go. Now nah, we're all kind of selfish, and we're all kind of responding to these like. Uh, inherent biological imperatives, right? The need to, you know, am I looking at that woman's butt over there because I'm a bad person? No, it's because my body's telling me to procreate and there's chemicals and, and stuff happening that, that does that. And does it mean I should do that? No, I'm, I'm, I have control, right? I can control my eyes. I can be, you know, but the point is not to sit there and go, I'm, I have these urges or I do bad things sometimes because I'm a bad person. It's just, we're all, just trying to figure it out and we're all uh and so if you kind of start with that point and then you learn not to when you learn not to judge yourself so much then you tend to judge other people less and then you go okay well it's like well such and such did this but 
they didn't mean to do it they're you know it's it's and so like th that's really kind of evolved my perspective on understanding myself self-love self-care but also using you, you when you respect yourself and love yourself it opens you up hopefully to kind of give that to other people as well true beyond true how was it you ended up playing guitar on militia vox's records the, the cape record holder for longest ever show <laughs> so the thing that's funny about that was uh so i met militia in new york when mm. and i was working at a bar called duff's heavy metal bar I, uh, and you know we would just we were in that scene and we would hang out uh but you know we were just like you know kind of friendly and but for some reason, it, we didn't start playing together until I moved to L.A. And she would come out here. She had a producer that she worked with out here, this guy, Mike. And she needed like a session guitar player. And she started, hey, he, he, you know, I, and I, it's just kind of weird. Like I said, I was I lived right there and we never worked together. But then I came out here and then we were just working on stuff all the time. And it was cool because she really knows what she wants which is great. Yeah. Like you got in the studio with someone and you're doing something they're like, Nope, that doesn't work. Yes, that does work. And you know, sometimes I'd have things mapped out and a lot of times I would kind of free ball and kind of come up with stuff on, on the spot. And it just, it was a really cool environment and she's just, she's incredible. And just, you know, I love her energy. She's so talented. Um, and she feels, you know, to me, like almost like a, like a family member. And I was just happy that I could help, you know, and, and hopefully, do work on her records that that uh she appreciates and and feels like you know made a, a, a good impact but it was it was a cool creative environment because like i said a lot of stuff would just be like messing with effects and sounds and like oh i here's right. i have this idea let me try this out and you kind of fuck around something and and something just kind of kind of works so it was a very free-flowing environment and it was it was just always a pleasure to work with her yeah she is a creative force to be reckoned with so it's no surprise you two ended up working together, but it's funny that it didn't happen until you were 3000 miles apart. It's funny how that's the way it worked out. It, it is, but in, but in, in a lot of ways, that's kind of just how it worked for me in general with moving to LA where for some reason I, I, I just got taken a lot more seriously as a, as an individual mu musician. Once I moved out here, I think a lot of it has to do with the, you know, the networking aspect and there's just so many more people out here working on stuff but for some reason my credentials just seem to carry a lot more weight right with so many people being out there it's like oh and at least at that at the point when you moved out you had established you know you weren't out there grinding it out you already had this thing going for a long time in a very recognizable band in the metal community so it would kind of make sense it's like oh that dude's here and he's available yeah <laughs> Let's well, I, I i put i put myself out there like i came out here and i was like i'm here to try this being a musician thing on my own right. let's see where it goes <laughs> do you like la or is it just where you live i like la yeah. i mean there's there it listen it's become very chic to shit on la especially during the pandemic mm -hmm. uh you know the there's very obvious issues with homelessness out here there's you know the like i said the the riot situation and all that stuff last summer was rough and the heat waves and the droughts and earthquakes and <laughs> that's what i always heard yeah. being out there oh earthquakes how do you deal with that i'm like you gotta do with a snow yeah but with all that i always just feel like 
there's just a lot of shit happening here. Now that it's back open and there are shows and there are sports events and, and dude, like I said, I live right by the beach. Uh, it's been, I love this area. I love the vibe. Um, and yeah, I mean, my lady wants to move to Nashville, so maybe I, maybe I won't be here that much longer. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how, how that goes, but I like LA. Um, but I don't, you know, but I'm used to kind of like urban environments being a little rough around the edges. I think that's just part of the, part of the, the, the experience. And, you know, if, if people, you know, some people, they, they don't really vibe and they want to kind of move to a place that's a little more quieter and, and, and less kind of different energy. And I, I totally get that too. It's, it's definitely not for everyone, you know, oh, and it, but, and it's, listen, it's, it's expensive and there's traffic and it's weird. Uh, but it's also, you're kind of in the heart of all this activity in the enter- entertainment industry. And I think that's pretty invaluable and in why, why certain people will always be here. Totally. But by the way, I think it's kind of, it's cool though. Also that people are leaving and going in other places and building up other scenes and, oh yeah. And, and, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the greatest thing for, uh, things to be so centrally focused, right? It's cool. Right. For this, you know, more people are moving to this city, more people move in that city. And then you get, now you got five different hubs instead of just one. Right. Or two. There's a whole buzz around here because there's, I mean, it's been reported in the news. I'm not saying anything that's super secretive, but, uh, apparently Netflix was looking to take some of the space in Fort Monmouth over in, uh, you know, Eatontown Long Branch area, which has been basically out of use for like 15 years. I mean, I think they lease office space and stuff like that, but they were looking to put stages there. And I thought that's uh, number one. That'd be awesome. If Netflix is doing productions here, you know, along in, in the Jersey, South Jersey slash Jersey shore area. But at the same time, it's like that space is completely outfitted for everything. There's a gate, you know, structurally, it's this military base. Like that would be awesome. So just the idea that there is like kind of spreading some of this stuff out is healthy. I mean, it's funny the amount of musicians that have decamped to, to Nashville or, you know, different, you know, all the, all the different parts of show business that have moved to Atlanta, where now that's become this huge hub. Like it's, it's part of just the evolution. You know, it is kind of a healthy thing to have so much of it be just in one area. You're right. It doesn't necessarily serve everything. Cause it's also, it's very easy to fall into the bubble too, about like, well, this is what everybody here is talking about. So this is all there is. There's definitely that element to it where I feel like it's easy for, you know, to end up in the, in the LA echo chamber. That yeah. And, and LA is, uh, w- one thing I'll say, there's no place like LA. It's oh, for sure. There's no other place to go to. Oh, it's the same vibes, the same energy. It's, it's its own thing. And by the same way with New York, there's only one New York, right? right? Like only one thing that gives you that feeling or has that energy. And I, and so we'll see, we'll see, we'll see where things go. But, but right now I, I dig it. I'm, I'm happy things are coming back and people are hanging out and, you know, and I'm just all about it. I have a lot of friends here. So it's, and like right. I said, all the whole band is here except for DL, our singer. So. Mm-hmm. And the shows, everybody rolls through LA. So that helps <laughs> every tour, yeah. every night. I'm telling you, there's something right. that we're back now where it's now every night there's a, there's something happening. Right. So you're coming up on five years on the X-Man podcast and you're a big fan of podcasts. You've recommended a bunch of them on your show. Was that what kind of got you into it was just being a fan or is it something you were approached about doing? I mean, yeah, I was a huge fan and I was, you know, and it was probably a lot of the same podcasts. A lot of people start with going back 10 years ago, it was Bill Burr and 
uh, Mark Marin and Joe Rogan, kind of the like the the original three first generation. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and and I found it su- at such a um, intimate medium, right? And I felt right. like, especially you know, in in, the, in in this weird way, being able to have direct access to very smart or accomplished people. I felt like it literally made me smarter. I felt like it made me more informed. I felt like it 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 just felt special. It felt something I was just really connected to. And it, it you know, for a long time, you know, I think the reason why it seems like everyone and their mother has a podcast now is that when you listen to it, it's something you want, you feel like you're a passive participant in in this other conversation, but you want to be a part of it, right? Definitely. And you're listening to another podcast. You you wish you could chime in and and give your your thoughts on something. And so there's something about that that is just very uh, cathartic, connective, and somehow just really valuable right now. So so you know I actually started one in 2012. Uh, I did an interview with Tim Lambesis from Asley Dying. That's just right. Sitting there, I never never put it out. Uh, because I did that one interview and then I, I didn't do anything. I kind of just kind of failed, failure to launch. And then it wasn't until, you know, 2015, 2016, I moved to LA and, uh, I had been guesting on other podcasts for a year or two and enjoying it and kind of get, kind of getting some of my chops in that way. And then Mike Mowry, who owns, uh, was a co-owner in, uh, Jabberjaw media had a podcast network and he suggested I start one. And I, so I went, I did, did a demo podcast demo and up doing a couple episodes and I sent it to him and he actually turned me down and he said, you know, thought it was, you know, I guess he thought what I was doing wasn't that unique within the framework was out there. And so I decided to just put it out on my own Mm. and it was successful pretty much from the first episode. And then he came back and he goes, Hey, uh, looks like I was wrong, <laughs> uh, which is rare. Please come Good over him <laughs> come over to jabber jaw. And I was like, yeah, no, no, but I, I seriously, I didn't take it personally. I wasn't like, right. Right. Um, it's like, I'm interviewing somebody one-on-one that's totally unique. Well, well just, I, I, if, if anything, it's like, he deserves credit for giving me the motivation to do it, you know, just give me kind of the push out the door. So I was just like, Oh, that was you, you, you're the one that gave me that confidence or that 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 push and ended up working and it just kind of started and hasn't stopped so we'll see we'll see where it goes i mean like i i definitely five years is pretty crazy you know pretty soon i'll i'll be at 200 episodes which is pretty crazy and people still seem to get a lot out of it um and as like i said it's not the biggest show in the world by any stretch but it's super solid and and it's just I'm getting bigger guests and I feel like I'm pretty good at it and it's just a fun thing, you know, and, and something that's kind of a, a consistent and a constant in my life at this point. Right. To have that perpetual project to work on, even through the pandemic, it's like, well, at least I have this, you know, I mean, it, people. well, the pandemic allowed me to be more regimented with it because it was a lot more because ah, I was, I was touring and, Sometimes you just can't get interviews. You can't, you know, it's so sometimes it'd be like every other week or maybe you miss a couple of weeks. And, you know, it's just, that's the reason why it's been five years and it's not even 200 episodes because it's, I'm sure some years it was only 25, 30 episodes, you know? So now you've 
grown to this place where now you're having icons on like you just interviewed d snyder and kk downing and you know now you're at this place where it's like you're getting this caliber of guests i know you don't really like doing this but do you secretly have a wish list do you have people like i would love to talk to barack obama you know somebody like is there somebody where you're like i would love to actually talk to this person just to put it out there because i gotta be honest i we did a live stream of this show back in july and i only half kidding mentioned you as like someone who I want to talk to. I was like, oh, come on, come on the show, Doc. Let's talk. Here we are three months later and, and we're doing it. So maybe there is something to putting it out there. Maybe not. Yeah. Well, but- I'm listen, I'm pretty open though. Like not everyone's like me. There's some people, I've had a lot of people on the show that have never done a podcast before or since. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's about working that relationship and and making it happen. So I do have a list and but it's not it's not anything anyone like really outside of the music industry it's not like some crazy celebrity mm-hmm. um it's very reason i have a list of very reasonable gettable people gettable people uh you know and it's and that's kind of something that's like okay every time i can kind of check one of those names off it's like all right good i'm kind of locked into this to the original mission statement of what what the show is so yeah well listen there's a few i'd definitely like to get and you know we'll We'll, we'll make it happen or, or, or we won't. Like I've, I've had some people who have been avoiding me for five years. I'm like, bro, <laughs> you said you do it. What's going on? Help me out. You know? And, right. and, and then I, then I feel bad. Cause I don't, I don't really don't want to pressure anyone or I don't want so, someone to do something they don't want to do. Uh, totally. even, even if they are my buddy. So, but it's more like, Oh, I think this would be a great conversation. Or I think people would enjoy it. You know? Right. Well, it's only fun if they're into it. Like they need to be up for it. You don't want someone to do it. Like, come on, man, we're friends. Like, why don't you come on and talk? And or even people want to hear from you. Not everybody's down for that. Which, look, that was part of the two big lessons I learned from my time in L.A. No one wants to be in your podcast. No one wants to come see your improv troupe. Well, I don't have an improv troupe, but I do the other thing. So it's not always everyone's eager to jump on and you know join in on doing your your podcast just because, just because. Now that there aren't any plans you know the record's out finally dear monsters is out everywhere everybody could stream it or even buy it imagine that but no tour plans for 2022 so does that mean even though you're busy with a lot of projects are we finally going to get the long tease marlon coil solo r&b album <laughs> you've been hearing about marlon david marlon oh, david marlon david that's right yeah. uh I don't know. Maybe actually, well, I do have a solo, like a cover song I want to put out sometime this year. Sh- want to shoot a music video, but no, there will be a Bad Wolves tour um, and hopefully several tours, but we have one that we think we're going to lock down pretty soon and will hopefully be announced soon. And the reason why we didn't have any touring leading up to this was just because of legal uh, stuff that had to be worked out as right. far as the trademark and be able to use the name. Uh, but now we've we've gotten the go ahead, and you know we've we've been up for a few different tours. But it's I remember a lot of the tours that be, that are happening in, even in 2022 are rescheduled tours that previously existed. Yeah. So it's just this weird uh, kind of weird space where, hey, can we let's put in for this tour? But it's already kind of locked in to some degree. So budgets and things like that being difficult. So. But I think we, I think we're going to lock down a tour pretty soon, a pretty big tour. And nice. exactly when that's like, if we get the go ahead, I'm going to be a very, very happy person because I need to get back out on the road. I need to get away. Need to need right. need to do some rocking and uh, and just want to play these songs live. You know, that's the yeah. thing. Anytime I make a record, 
I want to, I'm always thinking about how will this translate in a live environment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you've been, you finally gotten back on stage. You've gotten up with a couple of people so far and it's like that, but the itch is still there. It's like, yeah. I, I got to play and you just want to play the songs. These are new songs that you guys have been working on since last year. It's like, we got to take them out. <laughs> we got to road test this music. And ultimately to me, that's the ultimate test of where the band's at. Right. Right. When you're seeing people looking them in the eye and you see them respond to your material, you go, cause, cause it's difficult to appraise. Like when you're in this weird transitional period as, as a band and you're coming off a pandemic and you're dealing with all stuff, you go, well, where do we stand? Or, or what's the, how, how do you define success? Right. And so that to me live, it's like seeing people face to face is the real barometer. So that's something I'm like really interested to see and go, okay, well, how much work do we have to do? How much touring, how, you know, what, what is, what is this project kind of going to look like over the next what year? What songs are going over? What are the songs people yeah. want to hear? Yeah. What are the songs that work live? Yeah. But listen, I do think we have a lot of work ahead of us. And I think it is about reestablishing ourselves and creating a new relationship with, with the fan base. Um, and that the best way to do that is on the road. Definitely. All right, Doc Coyle, since you've made it this far, you are rewarded with being the next victim in Cape This or That. This or that questions, just like you've seen in every format a hundred times over. No wrong answers, Coke or Pepsi, that kind of thing. Written specifically for you. Oh, okay. Good luck. I'll need it. Jersey pizza or SoCal tacos? Damn, that's a rough one. Well, it depends on what mood mood I'm in. You know, if I got keep real, probably got to be Jersey pizza. Good answer. But SoCal tacos, man, goddamn. I know, I know. I could live on those. I mean, pizza has a different effect uh, biologically than tacos. Tacos you can burn off a little easier. So I just well, the thing is, I just don't eat pizza that much. That's really the only. But I think Jersey pizza. I have this one spot where my dad uh, lived and. It's still ridiculous. It's it's off the chain. So <laughs> it's tough. It's a tough one. Wawa or Sheets? Oh, Wawa. That's easy. Sheets is overrated. I feel like their stuff. Like they have a lot of stuff. I just don't think it's as good. I don't think it tastes as good as Wawa. Totally. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But that's that's controversial. Down. You know, if you get a little south and a little west of here, people don't want to hear it. But nothing wrong with Sheets. Sheets is fine. But Wawa is there's nothing like it terrible name i don't even know what it means people (laughs) well people think you're speaking another language if you talk about wawa like where's wawa is that like it's it's, don't worry about it well a lot of the towns in in jersey pennsylvania are named after native american uh words so that's why i was just that's some native american stuff i could be wrong let's let's say yes because we don't we're not fact checking on this show let's just go with yeah that's something to do with that but the food's great and that's what we're going with wawa over sheets Strictly speaking, as a guitar player, James Hetfield or Kirk Hammett? I can't. I can't. I can't do that. I'm in. A, I'm in a band with one of them. All right. <laughs> well, then you got to pick him. I love them both equally. That's right. <laughs> Kirk. Kirk's my guy. There you go. Pilot ticket. That's fine. <laughs> no, but it's actually weird because I I do feel like equally influenced by by both. Right. You know, from a rhythm standpoint, Hetfield is the king and. You know, I mean, you know, I had like Zeus, the producer on on podcast, and he actually compared some of my writing style to to Kirk in in that you know just wow. being into melody and uh, you know stuff that's not 
so crazily uh, technical that it's beyond it. It's a, it, it is kind of tethered to something that's very relatable. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, some of the, the probably the first guitar, guitar solos I ever tried to play with her came solo. So it's, uh, that's a tough one. So if it, in a, in a pinch, I'm going with Kurt cause I'm in a band with him, but it really is both. <laughs> Makes sense. Alabama Whirly or Mrs. Mia Wallace? Man, that's a tough one. You know, I'm going with Mia Wallace because she's basically the coolest woman I think of all time. Is there anyone cooler? I don't think. I think it's number one. Alabama's close. That's tough. I mean, I would say you don't have a coke problem. You know, in terms of yes, but she. I mean, she kills. She kills motherfuckers though. Don't 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 fuck around. Well, only when they try to kill her. I mean, she is yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I would say I prefer brunettes. Well, so there's that. Prob- yes, but I, I'm I'm probably more attracted to Alabama Worley. But I just like I just think Mia Wallace is just the coolest part. She's just like Bridget Bardot. It's crazy, man. She's just that's that's a good point. That's the dancing, the hair, I love it. Is it Taylor Ham or pork roll? Uh, pork roll. Bad Wolves is going out on tour. You have a new road crew member who is going to be your seatmate on the tour bus for the entire U.S. tour. Who would you rather be stuck with as a seatmate? Dick Ritchie or Hawkins from Predator? <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Probably Hawkins from, from Predator. Dick Ritchie. I mean, if it's actually... Uh, the actor. It was Mike Rappaport. Uh, Rappaport. At least we'd be able to talk a lot about the Knicks, but if it's Dick Ritchie, I don't know. I mean, it, it might be. Might be it's, it's Dick Ritchie. It's the character. Yeah. yeah. No, we're going to go with, with Hawkins. Yeah, Hawkins. Yeah. So Hawkins, right? That's the guy that's, that's Shane Black telling all the jokes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just, just, just to check. Yeah. Well, that's why I just, if I just said Hawkins, nobody listening would have any idea. But <laughs> Predator is another one of those perfect movies. So I knew you'd know. But just, yes, for everybody, for the listeners' sake. Yes, Hawkins are better. Shame Black tells really bad jokes. Totally, or are they? Pretty bad. They're, okay, or maybe his delivery is bad. Out <laughs> of place. Maybe he's not reading the room right. Let's put it that way. In the right <laughs> room, those jokes would have would have hit, but not when you're going on a suicide mission. Probably not the best place. The Stone Pony or the Whiskey a Go Go? Uh, I mean, I think Stone Pony is probably a better venue. Like, I like the way it's set up better but i think whiskey's more fun to hang out in would you rather be able to turn back time or see into the future probably turn back time i don't really understand the utility like like people who go to psychics for example right let's say the psychic is correct so does that mean and this is like you get into kind of uh you know existentialism like like predetermination Right. So like if you know what's going to happen and you can't change it, how does that actually help you? I actually think it doesn't help you. I think it actually creates kind of a uh, mind paradox where you're like, so if they tell you something really bad, now you're you just stuck knowing, wouldn't you? I'd rather that should be a surprise. Right. Uh, whereas like going into the past, I think uh, it's almost more like you're a tourist, right? Like you can kind of, oh, I'm going to check out this Jimi Hendrix show and yeah. 60- 68 or something or i'm gonna go uh like you 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 understood what happened and you know what, what all the good, cool shit was and you could actually 
check it out and kind of be be a part of it. It's uh, even though I even though I do I don't think uh, time travel to the past actually exists. I don't think it's a real thing. That could go ever. Like I actually think it's it's a perception. Like we have this linear version of time where I don't think it actually works that way. I don't think there is anything such thing as going to the past. I think the, it's the, the Doc Brown explanation doesn't hold up. It's just a straight no. line. No, it's not even a straight line. It's just I just think things exist. That there's no, there is real no past. It's just it's over. That's it. There's no pathway. <laughs> <laughs> there is no pathway because it's it's gone. It's like saying right. it's like trying to manifest something instead of nothingness. You know. But mm-hmm. like I said, I'm not a uh, quantum physicist or theorist so so i'm basing this on very little actual knowledge right and we've seen a lot of movies we got that going for us but and that that's about where most of our dumb knowledge starts and ends yeah it's like look i saw not one but two hot tub time machines and that has informed my ability to understand how things go and how they're inevitable (laughs) therefore looking into the future is pointless is it a sub or is it a hoagie sub i don't think i've ever used the word hoagie I haven't either. I mean, if you go to the Wawa menu, though, they're hoagies, but we don't call them hoagies around here. Nope. And if you said it's a grinder, I would just log off and that would have been that. But no, <laughs> I feel like sub is a Jersey thing. That's a total regional thing. So I had, I had to elbow in a couple of Jersey things here because why not? I like it. And finally, you, the top half of you is dangling over the edge of a cliff and you're holding two people, one by each arm, and you can only save one. On one arm, you have Dutch from Predator. Hanging on the other arm is Jack Slater. Who do you save? I mean, Dutch from Predator. I mean, Jack Slater is not real, right? He's a fake. I mean, he's real enough to be to have his life depending on you. He's holding on to your hand for your life. Well, here's the thing, actually. Dutch isn't real either, technically. I definitely should drop him because he'll survive anyway. Because he's a in, in his world, he really can't be killed. Unless Man. he's in the real world. Whipped your logic on me. That's right. I know whereas, whereas, you know... D- I mean, it's it's just a better character, you know? I mean, Dutch is just, he's the heart of it. And by the way, I probably would not be able to hold any, any of them because what, what, we're talking primetime uh, Schwarzenegger, what, he's pushing like 250? Yeah, of solid muscle. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a rough one. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he's bigger in, in Predator, though, than he was in... Oh, he, he must have been. I mean, he's in a tank top, if not no shirt at all for... 90% of the movie, whereas Jack Slater is always wearing the same outfit in every scene, so he, he didn't have to be. Jack Slater, you gotta go. <laughs> well, congratulations. You've completed Cape This or That and you survived. Although I'm probably going to get a lot of angry fans because I didn't ask you a God forbid question, but it's okay. Alright, everybody. Bad Wolves, Dear Monsters, it's out. You can get it. You can listen to it. You can catch a band on tour next year. All that stuff to be announced. How do you find out about it? You go to badwolvesnation.com you follow bad wolves on twitter and bad wolves official on instagram and for anything and everything doc coil including the x-man podcast follow him on twitter and instagram at doc coil come at him don't troll him but talk to him you want to have a conversation you want to have a civilized conversation like we had here tonight that's fine or just double tap on the pictures and like it and give him that gratification just like no you matter on social media (laughs) we like you so we're going to give all twitterers matter (laughs) <laughs> I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Honestly, this has been awesome. And I appreciate you sitting down with me and man, we all over the road. We're talking music. We're talking society. We're talking social media. We're talking race. There's a lot. We impact a lot in we a did. short amount of time. 
We did I, a lot. I'm, I'm into it. Well, listen, Great. I am starving. I need to eat. <laughs> my, uh, my body uh, withers away. But thank you so much for having me on the program. Dude, and, you got uh, it. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And next week, be back with yet another episode. So until then, for Doc Coyle, this is Chris Abalo, and this was yet another experiment. Jersey, the toll booth state. What does it say now? The garden state? <laughs> sure. If you're growing smokestacks, yes.